start another podcast man wisdom and chains giving us a little piece of uh someday track they had on a seven inch with Madball. obviously you heard a little freddie Madball in there that was a split seven inch on fast break records a label that richie has a lot to do with pennsylvania hardcore record label this is hardcore podcast this is episode seven everybody uh if this is your first time listening, thank you for coming, and uh, hopefully you don't get bored by the end. And for those who keep 
checking it out. I really appreciate that. I was uh, getting hit up a few times over the last week or so. A couple people said, don't put the title in the very beginning. Like we've said, nobody was born cool, win together, we lose together, you know, or we just keep it. Should I just be episode seven, Richie Crutch? I'll let you guys aside. I I'm on the fence. I kind of like the extra little title. I, I don't know why. Aesthetically, I think it gives a little piece of uh, what the podcast episode will be about. But if any of you uh, are listening enough that you want to tell me on social media, please do so. Otherwise, I'm going to keep doing what I do. One of the things that has been a common thread within this group of podcasts so far is that I like to speak to people that I'm close with. And I don't think that any human being on earth wouldn't want to do that. Not only does it build a familiarity for myself and let me get comfortable behind a mic, but also, I mean, I have a lot of really cool friends. And I not only have cool friends, but I have supportive friends that hear out a lot of my insanities and have coached me and supported me through a lot of crazy stuff. But also, in that, as we're just going back and forth and having untold hours of conversations, you just learn so much about them and you know in they're just being a good friend and being on the phone and chatting or we're working on projects together there's just so much to the character and the nature of the folks that i was involved with that it's impossible to not have the people on the shows that we've had on the shows and um i just appreciate everybody checking out their stories and it, it's been awesome so far it's kind of crazy to think that two months ago i bought my podcast set up with sunny on a random day and that this has been going straight for seven weeks now going into our guest richie mancuso first of the pennsylvania hardcore band crutch also a member of out to win and box cutter and most currently and longest he's been in the crazy amazing wisdom and chains and this episode, because I really can't have Richie just on one time, is just about the origin of Richie and how he found hardcore in a very violent time in Pennsylvania hardcore's history. And we talk a bit about, you know, what Crutch was up to. And there's a lot of interest from Crutch out of the young kids these days. Big shout out to Carter and From Within Records and uh, just all the PA hardcore kids and, and everywhere else that just giving this amazing band some love after all these years. Um, I have been lucky to be a guest on Richie's podcast, Post America Podcast, many times. And in fact, that was the last guest that he had that was actually like in person with them at their house. Their podcast is amazing. You go up to Richie's house now, and they all cook food, and you sit there and you have a great conversation. Before they did it at a place in Stroudsburg called Sarah Street Grill. And we would eat all this food. And it was just a great time. Their podcast has really been putting out some quality content. Um, Voices from the Quarantine, which is basically Rishi interviewing people via Zoom. I mean, he's got slain. Somehow this motherfucker got Collegiano from a Bronx Tale. But Freddie Manball, Scott Vogel, Craig Ahead. There's so many awesome podcasts so far that he's released. And he's been releasing pretty regularly. So check them out. Post-America Podcast. The importance of PA Hardcore and obviously not only my own evolution, but many of the listeners' evolutions is that obviously, you know, we're not New York. We're not California, but we have some of the best fucking shows of all time. 
And presently, we have some of the best shows, period. We have just an amazing amount of support for bands. And that's why bands from New York would put up with the, all the hundreds of Nazis and shit that uh, Richie's talking about at the airport music hall because it was some of the best shows on the East Coast. And I think that's one of our great legacies as PA Hardcore is that we just have some of the best shows, even if not our bands aren't don't have the legacy of an agnostic front. You know, really, our shows are still fucking awesome. Some of our bands are unsung or, you know, lesser known. But I really enjoyed this episode because a lot of younger folks get to hear it from the godfather of Pennsylvania hardcore himself, Richie. And I'm not going to talk anymore. Let's just jump into it. Thank you for checking in. Talking to Richie Crutch, Richie Wisdom and Chains, but more importantly, the godfather of Pennsylvania hardcore. Rich, you are definitely one of the biggest supporters in my personal life, and you carry the flag for all the Pennsylvania hardcore, and you've done it for a long time. And I'd like to take you back to that time frame before we had all that we have in PA hardcore, if you don't mind. Yeah, man, for sure. You know, I love everything you do. So I'm all about it. As for that Godfather stuff, I, I don't know about all that. I can't say that. I guess if you could call yourself Joe hardcore, I could accept that, I guess. I, I'm just going off of the old crutch <laughs> graphic with the yeah. hierarchy. So I'm just going off of what you guys laid out, you know, I got you. I got you. Where does the story of Rich start? Does it start in Pennsylvania or does it start elsewhere? Does it start with music or does it start, where does it start? I'm from New Jersey originally. So it starts in New Jersey and very musical family. My dad was like one of those doo-wop type dudes. You know, he loved like the 50s and acapella singing around like a, a, like a barrel with a fire in it. You know what I mean? So uh, I always liked music, and it was always music in the house. So uh, started in Jersey, and then eventually we moved to PA, and I brought that love for music with me. Now, obviously, doo-wop is something that I think most people, even at a ground level, can appreciate. Where does the first bit of the devil's music come to you? Where does the first bit of rock and roll or heavy metal, what is it that really starts kicking you in a different direction? Yeah, that's hard to say. I mean, I would say the very early like hints I had of like Black Sabbath, I was really interested in Black Sabbath. And then eventually it would be, I could get my hands on those records. But nobody in my family outside of my brother, he liked Iron Maiden a little bit, but Iron Maiden was a little too like feminized for me. You know, I didn't like the clothes and the high pitched voice and all that. So uh, eventually, I went to school with this dude and he, his older brother was like a metalhead, and he started taking us to shows. And then that from there was forget it. I couldn't, I couldn't get enough. Is this Pennsylvania? Is this yeah. New Jersey? This is Pennsylvania. When I was, uh, I was in like junior high in Pennsylvania and this dude named Doug, his older brother, Glenn, and Doug was like real metalhead too, but we, we couldn't drive. His, we used to uh, always go to the airport music hall. That was our spot. And they always had crazy sick lineups. And it was almost, you know, whatever, whatever Glenn wanted to see, it would be like Exodus or some, something like that. And I could dig it. I would like it. But one, one, once or twice with Glenn, 
there'd be some hardcore bands opening up in the mix. And then I fell in love with the hardcore stuff. And I was like, ah, this metal stuff is a little corny for me. But I stuck with the hardcore stuff, but still kept on going. You know, as far as we knew, that was the only place to hear that kind of music. So we were there every weekend. What town was this in? And what was the first hardcore band that you saw live? I think probably the first hardcore band I caught live was, uh, it would probably be, if it wasn't a local band called No One's Zero, then it would be a band, it would be Sick of It All. And it was one of those like mixed kind of uh, bills, you know, like uh, they were playing with like obituary or something like that, you know. And the, the place, Airport Music Hall, was in Allentown, PA. So that's like 40 minutes south of where my family ended up moving. So it wasn't too bad. It was, it was like there was nothing in my town going on. It was all like, you know, hip-hop, rap stuff, kids like that. So if we wanted to see that live stuff, like live heavy music, for years, I thought Allentown was the only spot. Well, I shouldn't say year, but for a long time, I thought that that was it. I got to go here to see it, and I wasn't too happy about going there. It was a very violent place, but they had such good bills, man. Now, for the people that are listening that are not familiar with Pennsylvania or the history of the airport music hall, there are plenty of hardcore people be it in magazines and videos who have spoke on the, I would say the scary nature of these shows. And we're talking not a single Nazi, but we're talking dozens of yeah. Nazis at every single show. Cause Allentown, Pennsylvania and the surrounding area was the ground zero for white power skinheads. And so they basically ran that place and, any early New York hardcore story will talk about hating having to go up to Allentown. So it's a crazy vibe that that's the interaction that brings you into this. At any yeah. point when you're engaged in heavy metal before you find hardcore, did you pick up a guitar or did that come after you found the more uh, hardcore stuff? Yeah, I did. Like this, uh, another dude I hung out with named Sal. He, he was a lefty though, but he had a guitar. And I used to always try to mess with his guitar. And uh, he told me, he warned me ahead of time. He's like, you're going to screw yourself up because you're learning on the lefty. By the time you get your own guitar, you're going to be all out of whack. And sure enough, he was right. When I started playing regular, I didn't know. I, it's like relearning because I didn't want to. I, in my head, I'm like, I'll just stay with this lefty guitar and, and just play it like that. But I knew that would be like a setback to doing so many things. So, yeah, I started playing guitar, learning your typical you know, goofy riffs, Iron Man, Smoke on the Water, you know, stuff everybody does. And at the same time, going to see these these metal bands, these thrash bands, you know, Testament, uh, Sacred Reich, all of these bands from back then. And then they always had good musicians. So I was kind of always sweating that aspect of it. It's just the, the band itself, the whole vibe I wasn't into. But And as far as the white power thing and the Nazis, yeah, you're right, man, it was... Allentown was so crazy and it was almost like a hub a meeting place for for all of the white power guys in like the tri-state area to go to I, there was always guys from Atlantic City I remember they had like their own crew guys from my own town of Stroudsburg a lot of local dudes right in Allentown Reading had a bunch of skinheads and going up there it was almost like they were just so empowered you know it was definitely their venue their show for a long time 
All right, in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, at that time, were there even record stores, or was at least there was? Were you uh, buying metal magazines? Like, how were you interacting with music beyond listening to? It? Were you going to like the big mall store for your music? Were you going to smaller record stores? Yeah, for the uh, for the stuff I knew about, I would hit the mall. I think it was called the Wall, the record wall. store. I do yeah. remember the Wall. Yeah, I think that was like a chain kind of, and it was in it a was lot a of chain. malls. Yeah. So I could get stuff like I could get my metal stuff. I could get some of the bigger hardcore bands. I remember the reason I bought um, Blood, Sweat, and No Tears from Sick of It All is just because of the cover. I saw the cover in the wall, and then I bought it. And uh, But other stuff, there was no like local record store here for a while, but eventually a really good record store would pop up, but not for a while. So we used to take trips down to uh, – there was a place in Bethlehem, PA called play it again i think play it again records which was cool for punk rock stuff hardcore stuff we drive to jersey we dr- we drive all over you know how it was like we didn't think anything of going two hours in any direction to walk around a, a record store for an hour and maybe come home with nothing you know it was just the trip was worth it in, in our heads but here in Stroudsburg, it was it was dry pickings early on man I, I had to drive we all had to drive just to get the the slightest satisfy our taste the slightest bit there was nothing around here now was it a question of those guys just being a little older or they were already involved that they kind of knew where these record stores were or were you kind of sussing things out and like putting the dots together to go check out new places well by the time i was like the metalhead dudes the wall was good enough for them because the wall had everything they could want. You know, the, the metal bands had great distribution. They were in every record store, especially back then. They were in every magazine. And if you liked hardcore, then you would always look forward to a little side, a couple paragraphs in the middle of a magazine. And it would, it would talk about some releases and it would say upcoming hardcore releases. And it would give you a little write-up. But that's all you had to go off of. And then from there we just learned real quick. You know, we told, we, it was like, I always say closed mouths don't get fed. So if you want to, if you want something, you got to open your mouth and, and ask for it and just do it. I would just go up to guys, you know, I'd see dudes in hardcore bands or th- even that I presumed were hardcore bands before they play. I'd go up, I talk to them, get some info. Boom. They tell me about this store, that store. And by next week, you know, I know what I'm doing next weekend. I'm going to that store. So it was just word of mouth early because the the main chains they they could only satisfy your your taste for the couple of the more you know the more well known hardcore bands and then everything early on was word of mouth and then eventually it would be you know physically writing letters you know. So you're in high school at this point, correct? Like you're still probably 15, probably 16. junior high and high school okay. when I'm doing that stuff. When I'm in high school. Early high school, even late junior high, that's when I already we already started the band up, you know. So we were young. That's, that's probably, where I, that's where I was getting at. Yeah. So you're so you're in you're in junior high, mm-hmm. and which which of the first guys do you actually meet? Like, do you meet them because they're wearing a t-shirt? Do you run into them because you're wearing something? Like, how do you first link up with everybody? Okay, so the guy whose brother took us, Glenn, his his younger brother, Doug, who's my homie, he. uh he hung out with this dude named Cheeseman. I know that mean, name means something to you. You know a Cheeseman. But uh, and so we used to go like, as a three-piece everywhere. And che- me and Cheese, we, we liked the hardcore stuff more so than Doug, I think, you know. And from there, 
Cheese is like, yo, I'm getting a bass. And I'm like, all right, I'm getting my hands on a guitar through my man Sal. But Sal was like a metalhead. He, you know, he really didn't want nothing to do with the hardcore stuff. And then we started bringing our other homie around. And his name is Sean. He would eventually be the guy to move out to Pittsburgh. He started up No Retreat. So he was the original drummer. So the three of us going to shows kind of said, let's, let's make a band. Lucky enough, Sean's father played drums. He was a drummer. And uh, he had a drum set in his basement, and he convinced his pops, let us jam out, and, you know, we'll, we'll do the right thing. We won't break anything. And we started uh, practicing at, at Sean's house in the basement, and that's where my first band, Crutch, got started. Where did the, where the name came from? In my basement, I had a pool table. Like, my dad had – he found this old-ass pool table, and we carried it back to the house. And we, we, we were always in our basement. My whole basement was like spray painted, like a big mural for Metallica, a big mural for Warzone. You know what I mean? The whole, and we just hang out in the basement. But for whatever reason, my basement had crutches hanging all over the wall. And we were like, we never, we never knew where they came from. You know what I mean? They were like, we're there before I, we got to the house, I guess. Nobody knew anything. But there was like two dozen crutches throughout the whole basement. So our original name we came up with, we were going to be called Prophets of Rage. We thought it was Stop. cool because, I swear, because we <laughs> thought it was, it was a Public Enemy lyric. And we, we, yeah. thought, we, we sweated, you know, NWA and Public Enemy and, and that stuff. And uh, we were like, yo, Prophets of Rage. And then I made, I made a big mural on a wall, Prophets of Rage, and it was like real whack looking, you know. And I'm like, damn, I don't know, man. Like, it's too much. And then we just, uh, I don't know who said it, but somebody said Crutch. And then I wrote Crutch up on a wall with like a C. And he's like, it probably was Josh Cheeseman. He's like, yo, use the K. And then we used the K. And it was like, that was it. We went with that name. And I always kind of hated the name. But for whatever reason, that's how the, that's how the, the name came, came into play. Thinking about the basement scenario, I, I can tell you that I had a very similar basement. <laughs> and uh, many, many, many hours spent down there spray, uh, spray painted walls. I used to get made fun of for having a pickle barrel full of demo tapes yeah. and uh, became like the home base between shows for punishment, play, get home three in the morning, sleep, get up, rock out, ready to roll. So you're, you're in the, I'm in the, I'm in the same boat with you with this one. Yeah. So, I think everybody in PA, we got basements in PA, you know what I'm saying? Like a lot of other States I go to, people don't have basements, <laughs> but we got basements. And when you're like a young kid, you like that dark ass, dingy ass basement. It was always wet. Sometimes it would flood, but that's where I kept all my stuff. And that's where we spent so much time chilling in a stupid basement, music constantly playing, you know? Now you started the band. So the question is, did you think starting a band, there was already show opportunities for you or would you just like to play music, which was, which was a drive there? It was ridiculous. Like we, we started this band and the, the way I met the singer was, I used to have a girl, like my girlfriend, like back in the day, she lived like real mad far away. I'm talking like, you wouldn't even believe how far away. Right. But it, it would be like a half hour drive. So not too, but I used to ride my bike to her house and it was wow. like a, a mission. And one day I, cause she had like a, like there was a community pool. It was like a enclosed like community, like it had a, a gated community, but it was like real ghetto in there. It was called, it's called Pocono country. Uh, Pocono country place anybody up here knows it's like oh shit Pocono. but uh 
but they had a pool and I used to always ride my bike up there. So one day I'm about to leave and my bike is gone. And I'm like, yo, what the fuck? I had like a, like a, well, it was like a fake ass GT because I bought a sticker set and put a sticker, like a GT sticker, sticker set on my Huffy. You know what I mean? And uh, it looked cool, but it was like a piece of crap. And uh, I was bummed out. I had to get a ride home. I w- and the next day I go to school and my girl's like, oh, uh, do you know this dude, Carl? I'm like, no. And she's like, he wants to talk to you. He lives, he lives up by me. And uh, I said, what's up? And he's like, yo, man, uh, I just heard that you got your bike stolen. I'm like, yeah, somebody stole my bike in, in, in your neighborhood. He's like, I, I stole it. My bad. I'm sorry, man. And I was like, what? He's like, no, just come back to my house and get it. And I went back to his house. It was all taken apart already. Wow, and I was like, stripped. I'm like the type of dude. Yeah, stripped down. Like all the parts were there. But I, I like ride the bike. I don't put them together. I'm not like that dude like that, that I want to put like a, a new this or that on the bike. I just want to ride this sucker. So I was like, you, yo, so luckily he had some knowledge. He put my, my shit back together for me. But then from there, we became best friends. And he was also into that kind of music, luckily. And then he would become the singer. So we would start the band. And like you're asking, did we have any idea of playing shows? In our heads, we kind of thought, yeah, we'll get a couple songs. And the next thing we know, you know, we'll be all over the place. But we, we made songs and we recorded really early. Cause we know we knew some metal dudes that knew about this one studio and uh, it was real close to where Carl lived. So we wrote like four songs and we recorded them. This is like, like 1989. And uh, we ha- we made a demo and it was like, we didn't know what to do with this demo. Like nobody where we lived liked this kind of music. And <laughs> we ended up playing a couple like parties early on. And it was like, you know, it was like, the gimmick of having oh oh these dudes are in a band these dudes from school are in a band you know we'll check it out but they're not really feeling that kind of music they're just going to bug out and start trouble have fun so eventually we knew like yo we got to get out like but how do we play shows at airport music hall like is there any other places like you know we see all these we know that these bands are on tour like where are they going we got our hands on one of those you probably remember because it's like a, a regional thing you remember that newspaper was called the aquarian Yes, I do. Yeah, so we got our hands on that, and then we just saw a list of clubs and clubs and shows and addresses. This guy makes this. This guy will print that, blah, blah, blah. So once we got our hands on the aquarium, we got some inside info. But you're talking like from the time we recorded our first thing to like the time we finally started playing consistently is probably like two years. You know what I mean? And in between our first and our second recording – we're lucky if we did like 10 local shows at some kid's birthday party, you know, some dude from high school or, or whatever, showing up to like, you know, an abandoned house and setting up shop. And it was all that type of stuff until we really got it together and kind of knew, oh, you got to make connections. You got to reach out and you got to be willing to drive, blah, blah, blah. So I'd say we started being active in like 90 92 93 we started really making you know trying to make moves well i wanted to talk about the aquarium first just because yeah people may wonder what that is so my mother was at the exact same time that you're speaking on she was involved in booking heavy metal shows in philadelphia so dope. and so we had that laying around the house and at the time i was in the same kind of heavy metal not quite there on hardcore yet it was uh 
younger than you, obviously, but really in the heavy metal. And I would just look at that thing and just see all these bands. And my mom at the time was dating a dude in a band and he would be like, yo, check this out. And they would have like paid ads for hair metal bands. Like, yep. And uh, his band, I believe was called seducer. Wow. That's hard. Yeah, Jim. Jim was the fucking man. And they would play in our, they would play in our basement. And uh, so, yeah, the Aquarian was definitely something that I could totally see being utilized to find information for people. But uh, I guess I have to ask you, where where was your mind as far as like the first Crutch music? And what were you trying to emulate when you first wrote them songs that you would record? You know, we uh, we never could quite get down early on like the typical hardcore fast beat boom, bap, boom, bap, boom, bap. we just couldn't get that down i don't know why so if you hear like actually there's only like one song that survived from that first recording it's called it's called our thing and I, I don't know what the hell happened to the other two or three songs but if you hear our thing you can hear it's kind of like a little a little weird it's a little different but we loved like i said we love the uh nwa stuff we love public enemy we loved ice cube all of that stuff. So in our heads, we thought we were like adding some flavor to hardcore. You know what I mean? In our heads. But if you listen back, it's pretty stiff. You know, this, the early stuff. When we eventually got to uh, hear Biohazard, we were definitely big influenced in like our two favorite, like the, the, the three or four of us, we loved Warzone and Biohazard. That was like our big influence. We always loved Agnostic Front. But uh, as far as when we were writing stuff, if for whatever reason, it, we would always mention, oh, you know this Warzone song? Oh, how about that Biohazard song? And then, you know, we'd be biting off those bands uh, early on. We'd be biting off those bands a lot. So that was the influence. I have to say that I think most of the bands at that point had a heavy, either sick of it all, agnostic front or Biohazard influence. And you could definitely hear it on the crutch music. Did you think at this time, like, yo, we're going to fucking kill it. Like, we have an audience? Or were you guys like, hey, fuck this. This is the shit we want to jam on and people like it because we're, we're you know, we're psyched on it. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't know if anybody would like it. We kind of never gave, like, we didn't give a fuck. Like, we, we thought if a kid would kick in, it would kick in. But we weren't going to stop regardless. If people thought it was whack, we we're going to still play just because we just loved it. You know, we couldn't wait. We couldn't wait to get together and write a song or just keep on playing the same couple songs we had. And then what, luckily, you know, just the, the, the early crew of guys that we had, we just wanted to play and everybody was down. Like, yo, we'll go anywhere. What's up? Like, can we get a show? And they were kind of like looking, looking to me to do it. So I was on a mission. I was like, I've got to make these dudes happy. though. We want to get out there. We want to play. And everybody was down. So I don't think we... Like we thought we were gonna, you know, bring anything new to the scene because we were just early on. We were just biters. We were just biting off what we heard, you know. We we sweated all that stuff. It wasn't like you know we were like really thinking and and, and practicing moves and gonna come out strong. We were just like retards ready to fucking go bananas when we played. We just couldn't wait to get to the show and just you know even the, a bigger deal was see the other bands. Who else is playing? Like. All, all these bands that we never heard of, like, we got to see everybody. What's up, you know? So it was just, like, an exciting time, and we didn't know how it would go, but it was it was good. Like, some places, 
we could do well and eventually it would get like strong in some places we just never kicked in you know it just all depend depended but we were just excited to play like bottom line the house parties sound like something that have a team movie and yeah. i have to ask out of those parties how many of them ended with either cops or a fight or did you end up meeting some of the people that would stay with you and be more like turn into hardcore people because of those parties you know what very few people that i didn't already know from those parties like became like people in the scene very few but the people that would come with us they were they're like they're like lifers you know they they loved it then they love it now but at the time you know uh people that didn't know hardcore they just said oh band is coming wow this is cool like band a real like live band let's let's bug out let's go crazy and it's almost like they sweated any band you could have been the worst band but you're the only one there that night and everybody's half drunk and they're gonna go bananas and there's always gonna be a fight and you know 40 50 percent of the time there's gonna be people calling the cops because it's too loud or because of the fight so the the house's house shows never ended well probably never really you know, helped elevate the band. If you're looking at it from that angle, like, did this show help us? No, I don't think any of those things helped. It just was a good time. You know what I mean? Nah, it's it's just a more of an aesthetic yeah. for that time because I think a lot of bands pre-internet would have those kind of circle of friends that would follow them and they would just play random shit because it was easier just to play something small than, you know, get a yeah. chance to play on the rock club. Yeah, so, like the people that liked us that were coming out to see us, they were stoked. The other people were like excited to see a band, but it was almost always an issue of the people that were coming to see us versus the people that are going to be there hanging out. Almost always, like the people there that are hanging out aren't going to get it, and they're going to be offended because you know how it is, you know, or how it was. It's just if they don't get it, they're they're taking all this stuff as as an insult. People running into them, hitting them, you know, dan you know. And it always fights broke out. It was just always an us versus them scenario and all of those house shows. Eventually house shows would become things like that a hardcore dude would put on, you know, and it'd be all like hardcore kids. But early on, it was like a house party. You're not playing a house show. You're playing like a, like some, some mama Luke got a keg of beer and, and reached out. Does anybody know a band? And somebody, call, you know, hit you up and then you end up at this place and it's, it's not going to end well, you know? Thank God for Spotify, right? They don't have to worry yeah. about that no more. <laughs> yeah, now you know. When you're when you're when you're kicking the band off, you're still in school. Was there like a separate group of friends or kids that you like didn't mess with, but they but you were aware of them, or were you basically anyone who was like hardcore related? You kind of already were down with for that school area. In in my school, anybody that was into it was already with me you know we were already yeah. linked up the only other ones that were into it that we didn't mess with were 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 white power skinheads so we had we had a, quite a few of them in our school like the skinheads here in the east coast they for whatever reason they loved hardcore where you know usually skinheads are into oi or this or that but these east coast skinheads back in, in those days they loved biohazard you know for whatever reason they loved the crow mags they loved all of that stuff it was like I think it was like more of a Northeast type of thing. So we had those guys and they were aware that we were in a hardcore band and we'd cross paths a lot, you know, but uh, we didn't really, we didn't mess with those guys, obviously for obvious reasons. And uh, other than that, everybody in the school that was into the stuff, we were all, we were all together, you know? 
I think it's hard for people in 2020 to conceptualize this, but what you touched on is absolutely true, especially in the early 90s um, in our section of the world. Hardcore was not something that I would say a Nazi would ever say, oh, yeah, you know, these guys are going to kick our fucking ass. I don't want to listen to this. And in fact, I mean, you know, the first time I saw Sick of on Biohazard, which was my first hardcore show, there was a shit ton of Nazis at that show. And, and I think it's something that you can pinpoint for our specific region of the country and that yeah. timeline where you didn't walk hand in hand with them. You knew who they were. They knew who you were and you kept it moving. But if something happened, went down at the show or after the show, then it was fucking on, but there was never any share, no milkshakes and, and nobody was friends with these guys. It was just, you're from the same area. I'm from the same area. You you're into that. I'm not into that. And that's something that I think would just blow people's minds by today, which is the only reason why I brought it up. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it's like, you know, back then, I'm sure you were the same. We knew the lyrics to these bands that we loved and we didn't understand like why those guys also liked these bands. You know, they were obviously, you know, for the most part, anti-racist bands singing about getting together and, and this and that. So we never kind of knew why they wanted to, to be around, but they were always at the show. And I'll be honest, early on, we had to eat shit, keep our mouth shut because it was such a lopsided deal. It was like, so many of them and so few of us like it was you know there'd definitely be some scraps but we would rarely ever be on the winning side early on so it was like you know fruitless i didn't even uh, certain shows yeah we would go to every show but i gotta say some shows i was like dreading i'm like fuck we gotta go we gotta show facebook it's gonna be bad you know for me coming up into metal and going to all Asia shows, I was uh, first, obviously, into the same kind of thrash metal, then death metal. And the same white power entity would be at the shows. So when I came into hardcore and it was either Dennis from Bad Luck 13 or one of the dudes from that crew who was like, yo, we're going to go over there and you're going to punch that guy in the fucking mouth and this is going to set it off. <laughs> and in my head, I, I'd seen a couple hardcore shows where dudes were beefing with skinheads. But I was so, I mean, A, I'm a 15-year-old, long hair, skinny, of maybe 130 pounds. And B, I'm thinking to myself, like, dude, I've seen these guys scare the entire show. Yeah. And, and so the hardcore world just was so much different than the metal scene. But for those listening, they're not really, I mean, like, we're not talking, oh, well, I had 10 friends and they had 30. If, if hardcore all came together and there was like 40 or 50 people that came up from other Philadelphia, New York, in the Strasburg area to this out airport music hall, there was probably good chance there was closer to 50, if not a hundred skinheads at certain shows. And there's tons of people that have said this. I mean, burn grill biscuits, you know, and, and that's really what you're looking at where you show up to a show, you want to see a show, but you've got to deal with 100 Nazi shirtless sig highlighting. And it's like, yeah. it's, it's, and it's exactly what you said. It's eat shit. Like, Hey, I want to support the band. Hopefully these guys don't fucking stab me in the parking lot. Yeah. And metalheads had it really rough at that place. Oh, get your hair like, pulled. I, ha I went through the whole thing in the pit. I seen them, I swear to you, set dude's hair on fire. Okay. And the metalheads were like, they are like diehard fans. So they yeah. would want to be right up front. They'd put their arms on the barrier and they'd take whatever anybody was doing, punching them in the back because they want to be right up front. They'd go up there before their favorite band started or whatever band they wanted to see. 
but I see them because, you know, even like dudes would come in with like teased hair. Like you're talking, they'd look more like a Motley Crue dude, but they were into like thrash, you know? And I just seen them light dudes hair up like, cause you know, it was filled with Aquanet and this and that. And it's like, these dudes were brutal. And when you say 50 to a hundred, well, I mean, maybe I'm wrong and I'm just thinking crazy, but easily at the key shows where it was their sort of, you know, lineup, easily a hundred plus of them. And maybe like half of them were posers and one half didn't like the other half. But for us, we're just seeing flight jackets, boots and shaved heads, a hundred plus dudes. And, you know, we know if it if pops off, it's a wrap, you know, and, and it was a couple times, but no, was, yeah. I, no, what you said is, has been verified. I mean, there, there has been stories, I mean, from every single New York hardcore band would just literally say like, fuck, well, I don't even know why, but I mean, at that time, there was City Gardens in Trenton, New Jersey. Yes. There was the Airport Music Hall. There was Unisound in, Red- in Reading. Mm-hmm. There was a limited clubs that would book this kind of music. So it was just what it was. But there was certainly more. That, and, and I should have say, you know, when you're talking about like, I was just trying to give example that this isn't talking about a small number. And yeah, there was definitely more than that. And I mean, yeah. I, there's there's tons of New York Harker guys that are literally like, I just don't understand. So where does the first sort of hardcore show happen for Crutch? The first one, I would say the first show, we actually rented out something. We rented out like a hall, like on our own. And uh, we brought our gear and we invited like two other bands. And that was like, it was, it wasn't like a house show. It wasn't a house party. It was like strictly dudes were there to see hardcore bands. And we got flyers out um, to, to record stores and by handing them out at, at other shows. And the next thing you know, we, we put the show on and all of a sudden people are driving in from some areas far away, you know, two hours, two and a half hours away. We're like, Oh wow, this is crazy. You know, the word got out and, but we were, you know, we were hitting up, big shows and, and get and getting the flyers out but we didn't know how it would be it was like rolling the dice and when we saw how these hardcore dudes operated they were just like us they were like uh yeah we never really kind of heard of these bands but let's go you know let, let's go and people showed up and it was uh that was like a uh, a hall in a place called toby hannah pa which is like desolate yeah i think in in uh in native american it means murky waters like this is just like a swamp ass looking spot in the middle of nowhere, but it was cheap. We got the whole place for a hundred bucks and then we just had a good time. And then from there met people and, you know, we were getting booked in other spots and that's kind of how that's the first thing we did. And and it, and it steamrolled after that. Now, since we're talking about you going to other big shows, how far out were you traveling at this point for hardcore shows? Uh, We would, with no question, you know, if there was something in probably the furthest we would be hitting would be like Albany, um, stuff like, uh, you know, Connecticut. And uh, probably wouldn't reach out like to Midwest until we were actually playing those shows, you know, or had a, at least had a band band up. But like early on, we were just going out. So I would say uh, back then. Connecticut, like uh, what the hell are some of those those places? There's so Tune there was in. a lot of Tune In, L and G. Maybe that LNG was later. Club. That was yeah. that was a little later, but I mean, it was definitely a big part of Connecticut. Um, it was almost like you I don't went think out. The skate, I don't think the skate park started till later, but the Tune In was definitely around. 
um, trying to think of somewhere else or somewhere else in Hartford that was like really big at that time, but I can't remember the name right now. The Hanover House, maybe. Oh, that was in Meriden. Anthrax. The Anthrax Club was dope. So one show at Anthrax, and uh, that was like way, way back, and that might have been like a Wide Awake or some shit like that. That's but, my, uh, that yeah. was that was what I was going to get to next. Since you were starting to travel, what were some of the the actual venues that you were just going to see shows at, and how did you find flyers to know those shows were happening at those places? Just uh, the a lot of the flyers would either be left behind in a certain spot at record stores, like you know you probably know that. I'm sure some stores to still do that. Like there'd be a little table. And it'd be all different flyers on the table. So we would know. We go to this store, check the, check it out. Any good shows? Boom, grab every flyer, look it over. Um, and from getting, like, leaving a club or leave, leaving a set in between bands, and somebody would be handing out flyers, you know? So that's how we knew of shows. And then that's kind of how we learned of, like, the like Stroudsburg gets linked up in, in the Northeast PA scene, but it's kind of separated. It's like uh, 45 minutes, like, south of Scranton. And like Scranton and Wilkes-Barre, Nanticoke, uh, where was CC's at? Uh, Music. Music. All of these places are like really one town next to each other. Like, so it's like a whole, it's like a valley of these two bigger, like, well, smaller cities like Scranton and Wilkes-Barre with a lot of little towns surrounding them. And they had a good scene up there. We weren't aware of it at all. So all the shows we went to were New Jersey, Allentown, or New York. But then... When we did our little show, we had people from up that way come down and we started seeing flyers for CC's and stuff like that. And we were like, oh, what is this? And then CC's was like much easier to get to, much more our speed with the people coming, kind of like a, a commonality compared to the, uh, you know, the, the, the just the, the ruckus and chaos at at Airport Music Hall. So we, we, uh, we started hitting CC's on the regular, just driving there and seeing what would happen, who's going to be there. Like, I remember just by chance, I remember this specifically, it was like a snowstorm, but we heard, oh, there's a show at CC's. Who? We don't know. We show up there and it was Madball playing. And we were like, we heard about Madball, you know, but we never got to see, never even thought we would see him. And then just one random night, I mean, CC's had shows every weekend coming through like it, it, it was crazy. And one thing that would happen at CC's would be like, I would want to book my own shows there. So I would be on, a, it would be like almost a race to, to lock down dates and call that dude up and be like, what date you got? Could, do you have like August uh, 21st? No, God, I wish no. I remember his name. I remember. I remember Vince. That's what I was, it was saying. I was on the verge of Nick or Vince. Yeah, Vince was the owner and basically did everything. He, and he was, I think he did everything, including like clean the fucking toilet. He yeah. he he and, and so what Richie's talking about for people that may not understand, nowadays you go through the internet for everything, but at this time and, and there were club guys who either own their own place or the club guy would hold the calendar, which still sort of is what happens now, but it's a lot more in depth. But that guy would either say, hey, you know, I'll give you the room this night. So what Richie's saying is, is if you wanted to do a show, you're going against maybe six or seven other hardcore people if a club had hardcore shows yeah. just to book a cool show. So you had to, like, guess, like, oh, yeah, this is the week, this is the day I'll do a show, and then you got to build around it. Was that how you were working at that time? Yeah, totally. And it almost it caused a little friction with some other, like, early on, we just thought hardcore. We're a hardcore band, you know, everybody hardcore, they're going to, 
we're going to love each other. It's going to be dope, blah, blah, blah. But early on, we saw that, okay, some, some dudes in hardcore that are a little more established than we are, they don't, they, they kind of look down at the stuff that we like and our sound and, and our look. And we were shocked. You know what I mean? So I learned that by trying to lock down dates at CC's because they'd be like, oh, sorry, so-and-so has that date. And I'm like, oh, that's that's another hardcore dude. He's in a band. I'll hit him up. Maybe we could jump on a bill. I'll do him. So-. And then right away, I felt like, oh, okay, like these dudes aren't feeling us like that. Like for there was like within the Northeast PA scene, there was like two solid scenes and even some little divisions after that. But it wasn't all like, you know, it wasn't all gelled up. It was like almost like action. I, I call it the nerd scene, but that's, you yeah. know, that's not the right thing to say. But I would say, oh, the nerd scene would be like, you know, they're, they're always a step ahead because they are more active and they're, they're the ones who are doing the zines. But the thing with the nerd scene was like they were very exclusive and they didn't want to include people. So they were happy with what they had. They were happy with the people that were showing up and they almost didn't want other people to show up to their shows. You know what I mean? It was a real kind of like boutique kind of hardcore. And uh, with us, we wanted strangers come off the street, you know, dudes from other states come up, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so, yeah, there was a little division early on, and it was like a race to book shows, lock dates down. And a, a thing that happened in that area was that, remember that club, Mantis Green? Yes. Mantis Green almost became like the competition for CC's. And although we played Mantis Green plenty of times, it was like we were like a CC's band and another band would be like a Mantis Green band, you know? So to, to kind of put this in perspective again, since some people are just maybe a little bit out of the wheelhouse, hardcore in the 90s, be it early, mid, or late, there were absolute, like, division within hardcore. And from my perspective... You know, I came with long hair and a hardcore, and I didn't, I didn't know of this division until I was like, "Oh shit, yeah. I, I like going to see cool bands." Oh, you're a cool guy in heart. Oh, you don't like my Fury Five hoodie? Wait, why don't you like Fury Five? Oh, and they would, they, and I, and I hate using this term, but the only term that would, and, and it's the truth of it, is a uh, wigger. And mm-hmm. so someone would say, "Oh yeah, you're into that wigger hardcore. That's not really cool here." Yeah, hundred percent. And and it was always frustrating to me because, you know, I'm a young I'm a young person and I, I listen to a lot of heavy metal. I listen to a lot of hardcore. I was even you know trying to go deeper into punk that I hadn't been aware of. And there was these guys exactly what Richie's saying. Like they're they're all in. They know everything. They got all the cool shit down. They own tons of records. And they made you kind of feel stupid if you're young because, oh, you don't know anything. Oh, you know you like this thing. It's not there. Oh, it's not like your thing. And I always found it frustrating because I was always supportive of everything and went to a ton of different kind of shows and was lucky that the people I rolled with were older. So we went to div- different, diverse, different kind of shows. But I always felt like there was a stigma against the heavier stuff, especially, and it's ironic now, and we'll get into that. You know, you brought up Madball. Madball was one of the most stigmatized bands at that time. Yeah. And if you were like them, you're like, oh yeah, you're like one of them fucking wigger dudes like you don't really like real hardcore and i'm thinking like what's more real hardcore than man like you know we're not talking about we're talking about you know dropping many suckers into set it off ever man ball 
And, and there was like this moment where it was a very judgmental scene that other. Side oh, they didn't want, and, and you know, the, you know, whatever, you know, we could literally make a whole thing about this, but it's not worth it. But just to explain it to you, there was def, and it wasn't Pennsylvania. It was Pennsylvania. It was New Jersey. It, and it, it was probably, and you know, for all we know, Connecticut, other places, I'm sure other people have experienced a similar kind of division. And it was a hard division. Like it was hard to, to grasp that some people were just like, oh, that's a kind of hardcore that I refuse to fuck with. And you're like, yeah. uh, okay, dude. <laughs> I got, and I, I got to be honestly, on this side, I was, I didn't know. I didn't know that there was well, a, no, same issue. thing. I didn't know. And, and, I, I thought I like you know like our side had like we'd have hardcore pride and I'd see shirts that say you know PA hardcore or straight edge hardcore. And I'm like, cool, but I oh my hardcore isn't yours. Fuck. Yeah. What am and I you 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 explain how you looked back then and you'd have like a much better chance going to the so called wigger or tough guy shows and they'd be <laughs> much more open. They're, they're like it was very non judgmental in, in the scene. It could have been Fuck violent no. and the people could have been dicks for sure. But that other scene, they just they'd rather have a show with eleven people and just but their people, if you understand what I'm saying, you know. And that's exactly what it was. And you know, similar to your story, I mean and, and this is how you and I cross path, is that I'm in Philadelphia and I hear about a place called CC's and buddy from Kensington's like, yo, let's drive and go to a show. So we go up there. Obviously we're going up in this like beat up. I, I guess it's a Chevy Lumina or something. This old van at the time it was brand new. And I'm, I'm sorry, buddy for calling it beat up, but it was like an older, you know, not the coolest thing, I guess, but it was buddies and he drove everybody everywhere. And we were welcomed with open arms two hours away from home, but locally, even though we're all the actual people that grew up in Philadelphia and we're going down to downtown hardcore shows, we are more accepted in New Jersey, more accepted in Northeastern Pennsylvania and up at the pipeline in Newark, New Jersey, or at Asbury park at the stone pony by people that you would immediately be like, Oh, that guy's absolutely fucking crazy looking. But they were like, Oh, cool. You're into my shit. Cool. We're cool. But they might kick you in the fucking head or, you know, like you're still getting kicked hard. But the respect by just you being into what you were into, yeah. even transferred into Long Island, the Castle Heights, the wetlands, those uh, Coney Island matinees. It was a very fucked up scenario where we had good scenes in places like Scranton, Wilkes Bar, Philadelphia, um, South Jersey, had tons of halls. And yet their world and viewpoint, we don't really want all you people here. We'll deal with you if you pay your money to get in, but you're not the cool. And it yeah. was just so lame, but I'm a fucking idiot and I'm going to see the bands I want to see. So it's still go. And I think nowadays that that shit happened, I'm like, cool. I'm not I'm cool. I don't have to go now. Great. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just stay home. It's, so, it's probably still a thing. You know, if you're a younger dude in the mix, you probably still feel it. You probably know what's up, but yeah, it was, it was goofy, but uh, honestly I went into it like sincere. Like I didn't, once I realized, I was like, oh, all right. you know, then I doubled down and be like, yo, fuck them dudes. Fuck these dudes. And, you know, they don't want this. But at first I was like open. Like if this dude looked like this, I, I could care less. I wasn't even seeing it. I just thought like, oh, we got this thing hardcore. It's like our thing. Like, oh, those dudes got a, they got a band. They got a venue. No, let's mix up. Let's link up. No, you can't. Like, what do you mean? Like, oh, oh. And then you just, you know, they had like a, a belittling tone and a, like a, little superiority complex over people for whatever reason we felt it but it was not a huge deal 
but it was something that maybe people don't realize because a lot of people do talk about, they glorify the old, you know, uh, Northeast PA scene, but it was really divided, man. No. And because we had gone up to um, the guy, he is from an albatross, Ed Begita, who had that uh, straight edge vegan zine, who is now a dude from Philadelphia. And we went up to one of his like Wilkes bar fests for a single day. Mm-hmm. And it was completely separate universe. And I was yeah. kind of like, Oh, I'm not, I thought I would see some of my CC's friends. This isn't the same thing. And so you're not wrong. And I, and actually, you know, it was hard to kind of not buck back. And I think we kind of did it in our own ways, you know, like, yeah, definitely. If I, if I'm rocking a fury of five shirt and let's say I'm at some show that's like softer or more of like a fast rate edge thing, I definitely wasn't going to let somebody like try to like act like I'm sweet, even though I was young. So we would dance even harder. Definitely yeah. piss people like Robbie red cheeks and shit off. And at Middlesex County college, it would get down because we had friends from New Jersey and friends of PA that would all go. And it kind of would be a mixed bill of sorts. And it'd be kind of like, well, it's our world versus your world. What do you want to do here? So yeah. jumping off of that and uh, getting more into how, how you were functioning at this point. So you're linking up when, when would you say was your first time that you were actually asked to play out of the state of Pennsylvania? Who was it with? It would probably outside of PA, it would be through Rick from 25 to life. Where did you meet him? Let's just start with that. We met him when he was on tour with, I think he could have been on tour with like, or it was just maybe just came to the show, but it was like, uh, it was a tour back then. I think it was like, um, doggy dog downset mad ball. That was a sure. That was also came to Philadelphia, and I saw J.C. Dobbs. Okay, it was, yeah, it, and- was it was hard response opening in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Doggy dog, mad ball, and downset headlined. Yeah, yeah. Up here they hit um, CC's, and it, I'm not sure who opened, but there was another band, and uh, we met Rick there, and he was kind of helping those bands, so I assumed he was a roadie. And Rick was like, boom. You know, he, he knew of our band already. And uh, he's like, what do you got? And I was like, I gave him a demo. And he's like, you got any more? And I was like, yeah, I got like a, a lot more. And he's like, you got like 20? And I was like, 20 demos? I was like, yeah, all right. And I was, I think, I forget what we used to sell them for, but I, I sold them to him for like a dollar a piece. And uh, at the end, he's like looking at him, this and that, dope, dope, and moving. And he's, to- he's just hanging. He's hanging with us all night. And at the end of the night, he's like, uh, you want to do some shows together? And, you know, we're like, yeah, fuck yeah. And then I think he brought us out to uh, maybe early on the uh, Studio One or. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, the- before. Yeah, that would have been the dad. Yeah. Studio One is like uh, real. Back then, it was. Uh, that they was had a lot, of, a lot of cool shows there. Yeah. Big, bigger than Pipeline. It was that was yeah. A, it was more of a real club where the Pipeline was kind of like a bar, but uh, Pipeline had fun, great shows. But yeah, the uh, Studio One was like playing like a real, a real club. And we were, you know, when we got there, we were like, yo, dope. I, I, that's where that's where I'm from in New Jersey, so I knew of Studio One already. And when he said, uh, like a show at Studio One, I was like stoked. I was like, I was telling my band, I was like, yo, it's like a real place, you know, it's, it's gonna be, it's gonna be good. So he got us out of state. And then from there, we got him in PA. And it was like, you know, like piggybacking off of that. Then when we were when we were at Studio One, we met dudes from 
like bulldoze and one for one crown of thorns like all yeah, that was that whole crew there yeah and uh a lot of dudes that are still around to this day that write yeah. killer songs you know like we were talking about zach the other day and the, the guy's been in so many bands has a great resume he's a good guitar player writes dope riffs like it, it's a lot a lot of good people met really early and remember even like bands like 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 dirt nap you know yeah and uh I actually, I remember like the Fury of Five dudes came out, but they weren't playing. But they came out. We met them very early. And as soon as I saw Stickman, I remember seeing him in his old band. He had a band called Position of Power. And I saw them at the, at a Stone Pony with uh, Life of Agony and a band called State of Alert. And I, I remember the dude because he's intense front man. And then as soon as I saw Position of Power, I was looking for their stuff forever after that. I was trying to get hold of them. I wanted to bring them out, and I could never find anything. So when he came into the uh, into the show, I was like, yo, I saw your band, blah, blah. He said, where do you see us? I said, uh, he's like, oh, that's my old band. I said, oh, all right, all right. What do you got now? And he gave me a demo. And early on, I think it was like a three-song demo. It was, yeah. it was dope, man. I mean, Fury's a band people don't really understand if they only – heard the songs you know secondhand if you see them live then you get it but uh yeah just met so many people from then on and then after that it's upstate new york it's connecticut it's massachusetts it's uh you know even ohio and it's uh down south going like as far as like early on maybe richmond and baltimore you know it was good but that that was the key honestly you know crazy rick getting us uh off the ground, but he was a real cool guy early on. He was really one of my best friends. So we are probably eventually going to do an entire episode, Richie and I, on the good of Rick to life before the fall. Oh, and wow. I definitely think that there is a lot to be said, not about him as a maniac from 2008 onward. I don't want to waste any time speaking on that. But I feel that there was so much that he had done in the time frame between 1994 and even up until the late stages of the, uh, even actually even early 2000s, he was still in a different capacity because the internet had come out and people were able to work more. But Rick was really helpful, and I think there was an aside specifically because Richie had been so close to him, and I had met Rick so early that I want to like lay out the found like the foundation of the good in Rick, if we can get to that at some point in another episode. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Early on, he was just a dude that loved, I mean, he, you can say whatever you want. I, I know him personally and very well spent so much time. He loved hardcore, like loved it. And he was, he was into all the stuff that I could care less about, like the older stuff and some of the bad brain stuff, you know, just, it was a little out of my time. So I, I didn't really sweat that stuff. But he loved that stuff all the way to the present stuff. And he, he, like, if he could get his hand on a band's demo, like, he's, he's listening to it on the way home. Like, yeah. I've been, like, so he, he was a music lover for a long time. Yeah, I, definitely. Now, in contrast to today with the internet and social media, where it is a sea of humans just with these bands and, everyone is vying for playing specific shows. It's not hard to look at crutch from Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania and go, Oh yeah. It makes sense that you guys would have to travel because 
if you were a band, be it Club 121 in Brockton, Massachusetts, or you were up in Albany at whether it was Bogies or one of the other places, you wanted to fuck with a band like Crutch because, oh, yeah, this band's cool as shit. I like this. We're going to bring them out. And that's how bands linked up at that time frame was with other bands or promoters that were into that style. Yeah. And so I have to ask you, where did, was it solely from Rick or did people start picking up on you guys since you started playing and it was like your name was attached? Cause I remember that's how it was for us. Crutch was synonymous with 25 to life with one for one, you know, it was easy. So do you think that was a big reason how you started getting out past? Yeah. That's how we got definitely into, into like, places like new jersey and maybe even our first new york city show you know but other stuff like going to connecticut that was that was through hate breed and, yeah um jamie was really big with that back then too jamie would yeah he would want to trade shows let's and he'd say it like that let's trade shows trade shows and boom and you if so if you were kind of a band that didn't book anything you know he'd probably still bring you around but he wanted to get his band out he was like that dude is a worker back then and uh he brought us to Connecticut, and then I, you know, you mentioned Club uh, One Two One, and I, th- I think that uh, maybe Punch the Clown brought us up there. Yeah, that would have been Chris and Punch the Clown for certain. Yeah, they, so it was it was them, and and um, I remember through that or no, it was it was through somebody else. We did like uh, our first uh, like Vermont show at a club called Two Four Two, because you said One Two One. I remember Two Four Two Maine, and that was like Blood for Blood's second show. And then from there, we met Blood for Blood, and we started messing with those guys, you know. And uh, it was, you know, so the, we ended up doing an awesome – eventually, a Blood for Blood would, you know, get a lot of hype because they, they were like a very professional band early on. You know, they got the crazy image, but the work that they put in, they, they, they were one of the few bands that had like – They were a, a real, machine. Yeah, they hadn't had a real demo cassette with like the words were printed on the tape like it was a professionally printed – I remember you know, it was five dollars when everyone else's tapes were three, and I was like, "Yeah, if I'm spending five fucking dollars, this." And I heard it and was like, "All right, this is the fucking truth." Okay, yeah, this is worth it was. It was. It was good, and like I know you just had Chris from uh, Dysphorion. He, he and his band was also like that professional. Like VOD ended up doing that. They had like these professional demos, and but it was Blood for Blood who would bring us to the Rat, and we did the the Rat in in Boston. And, you know, that place was like a legendary spot. We were happy to go there. So it was, yeah, we were just linking up with everybody. So it was, uh, the bands back then were really in our scene anyway, really hospitable. And like, they would just go out of their way. If you come to their, their town or their city, they want you to like it. They want you to have a good time. And if the show was a failure, which, you know, it definitely could have been a lot of times, then they're just going to make you have fun. We're going to do something. They're going to take you yeah. out Everybody was cool. I can't remember like any dick bands that were in what I call my scene. You know what I mean? Like there was no dick bands in my scene. Everybody was cool. There was some maniacs that could cause trouble. And maybe we all get pinched at the end of the night. Cause this dude's so crazy, but he wasn't like a dick to us, you know? So it was like blood for blood. And then as far as going to out, like Detroit it was cold as life, you know, they would yeah. always bring us out and they would, they would bring us, they would link us up with some shows in Ohio. And then when we were in Ohio, we met One Life Crew. And then we would start linking up and doing shows with those dudes. And it was just uh, on the phone all the time with the, with the legendary dialers, pay phone all night, and uh, letters, 
shipping stuff out, printing up flyers, finding sneaky ways to to print shit without paying and and driving, driving, driving. That was like the key back then. But it was uh, definitely it worked. Like for what we were trying to do, nobody was really trying to like blow up. Nobody would thought we were going to be on MTV. It was just like we had this this family and almost like a like the movie The Warriors. It was almost like a setup. Like when you go to somebody's town, they dress a little different. They're, the music that the bands they like are a little different. They dance a little different. But they're they're an ally. You know what I mean? They're a potential ally. It depends how this is going to play out for the night. They're going to be an ally or an enemy. Almost always it ends up as, as you make allies. Maybe a guy in, in a particular scene here and there is a, you know, a jerk off, but that's always so, the case. In being able to identify you guys early on, um, Nanny Coke Straight Edge stood out because they were obviously bigger dudes than us for the most part. Yeah. And it'd be four or five of them straight up in a windbreaker to just say, and at first I just caught the straight edge X's and I was like, Oh, cool. Straight edge jacket. Then I said, Nanny Coke PA straight edge. I'm like, I don't even know where the fuck that is. Yeah, but that I nice. saw, but it was like Carl, Dave. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ, these dudes. And they were always, and, and this is where I'm going to get to with this. They were always vying for the front. So as you talk about the, like the, you know, like your tribe and your dance move. Yeah. I always tell the kids the glory was in the front. Like if I went to CC's, I was trying to get close to the stage, not to grab the mic, to just mosh and be like, we were running the front of stage. And I remember being up there and getting that eye to eye, like, oh no, I'm not letting these, you know, not letting the Philly guys run this pit. And it was so much fun at that stage, whether it was, and this went as far as when we went to Castle Heights, whether we go to Dr. Shays in Long Island or one of the bigger clubs in uh, yeah. like the halls in Long Island. There was a sense of true unity because we're all doing the same thing, but we've got our squad, be it four or five guys that came up in the van with the band or just like on their own cars. You went to someone else's area, you had to both show respect, like, hey, we're not going to be complete total assholes. We're going to fight the whole place. Or B, you also had a show. I'm like, hey, yo, we're not bitches. We'll, we'll go out here and try to run your whole show. And oh, yeah. It was Unless a prison, it, it was prison mentality in the clubs. So if they sense weakness, you know, it's not it's not a good look. But if they sense like, oh, these dudes are like us, but from somewhere else, then it's it's great, you know. And the Nanticoke dudes, you're right, they were a presence because nobody else was really doing that, rocking the same gear, you know. And and they were bigger dudes. And and when I first saw those dudes, it was funny because in my high school, there was a, a game against their high school. And they came down for like a soccer game. And me and the dudes from uh, that band Living Proof, like when they were in high school too, we ended up like beefing with them and had a fight with them in a, at the soccer field. The Nanticoke dudes, before we knew them through hardcore. And it would come out later while we were talking. Of course, Chris Nanticoke, he remembers everything, you know. So he brought it up to us one day. And I was like, whoa, that was you guys? And we were always like, oh, those are like tough dudes from that, that Nanticoke high school. Who are those guys? <laughs> So since we're talking about, I mean, you brought up Chris Dysphoria, who obviously was on the last episode and uh, actually two episodes back. And um, he spoke about his shows in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. We spoke on Nanticoke and Stroudsburg. When did you link up with uh, the guys in Reading? Was that just from word of mouth to get down to play the top of the rock? You know what? Those guys, uh, Chris Hensel who was a good friend of mine, but back then I didn't know him. He always brings up a story where I feel bad if it's true. I just don't know if it's true. 
I was handing out flyers and, and these dudes came out and, uh, I didn't recognize them. I guess they were from Reading and Reading dudes were a little tattooed up more than other people at the time. And, uh, I went to give him a flyer and Chris Hensel was like, no, I'm good. And I said, I said something like, fuck you sucker. And <laughs> I don't, maybe I did, you know, maybe I just playing around, but he brought that up to me like later on after I get in a band with him, he's like, ah, <laughs> do you remember what you said to me when you, so I, I think they, they, from what I remember, they started coming to shows and then they started playing. And they had like a different singer, like a guy in the band playing bass with, I'm talking about Mushmouth now. Yeah. They, uh, he was like their singer also. Like all of them were like screaming and sh- I didn't know what the hell was going on. I was like, this band is whack. And by the next time I saw him, they had like a single singer and it was Chris Hensel. Was that was the like, Thickest Steve demo? Yeah, probably with like all the dudes just yeah. doing different parts. Yeah, I think you're right. That was like their first demo. Then the next time I saw him with a single singer, I'm like, oh, that band Mushmouth. I don't know about all that shit. You know, I'm not into that. And then I saw him and I thought Hensel was like, just had a brutal voice. And he was like, they were a different band. And then we started. Absolutely. Yeah, we started talking. And next thing you know, we were like hanging all the time and it was in the mix. And a dude from uh, my area, Ian, you know, Ian, he would move all over the place and he spent some time in Reading. So he lived down there. So we would be down hanging out with him in Reading and then hanging out with Chris Mahmood and then Chris Hensel. And he had a little apartment out there and he lived in that apartment with dudes that were, uh, I think that dude, Jerry from like bulldoze. He was in, yeah, uh, he was, he was in that. So, you know, everybody like knew each other, you know, and Reading was like a kind of a weird place and it was almost like the Allentown scenario where they'd have these dope shows, but there was always uh like a show at CC's, it was possible a Nazi would come, but not likely. Unlikely. But a show, but, yeah. But unlike, impossible. Anywhere yeah. in PA or, or even Jersey or anywhere yeah. they could show up. But a show in Allentown, it's almost confirmed they will show up. And Reading is like 70% chance they'll show up. You know what I mean? So Reading was that kind of scene. But they did early on have great shows. And, uh, and, uh, you know, luckily, guys we were messing with, like Chris Mahmood and Chris Hensel, they were, like, in the mix of, of booking these shows, you know, and that helped a lot. I remember driving out to a hall show that Chris had put on with, like, All Out War, and it was the first time I think I see an All Out War at a straight-up hall. Yeah. And we drove through the rain, and I remember Chris being like, guys came all the way from fucking Philadelphia? What? Like, and, and to think, because, like, at the time, you know, traveling – to Reading wasn't seen as an option, but getting into that Mushmouth demo definitely made me want to go out to like the top of the rock shows. And it, I just, it's good to see that you're linking up the different uh, branches around yeah. the Pennsylvania hardcore scene at that time. And even so when you, you mentioned all out war and like their spot was Newburgh. Yeah. Newburgh and Newburgh turns the out. Skate park, what, right. Yeah. And it was great. And it turns out it's not like that far of a drive, like Stroudsburg, the best thing about Stroudsburg is the location. I could get to New York City in like an hour. I could get to Philly in like an hour and a half. I could get to anywhere. You know, it's pretty centrally located. So we spent so much time going to Newburgh just to hang out. And also with the link, like All Out War was so important in, in the scene. And still now, like when I see them playing, it's like I'm so psyched because I know. I, I remember when they started. And, like, they're a legit band that put out killer classic records. 
on victory records and you know it's it's like it's so cool like they're one of the few from that era that i think maybe the, the only from that era that did stuff like as men who worked full time but also maintained a band that is very relevant you know what i mean all that no, war was it was a key then and, and still now all that war i think one of the great surviving attributes of them is that they had a short run in the late 90s where they had like a legitimate tour they did with on a victory tour uh they also did another tour like dying fetus and i think at a certain point the band kind of acknowledged like we're weekend warriors we're hey we'll go out for a couple days and i think that added a lot of longevity to the band because people never in the entire time have ever gotten sick of seeing them play because yeah. it's always a you, treat yeah and uh so at what stage do you go from the demo cassette to the seven inch and on and it was at back to basics oh okay well i think uh like our demos were like between 89 and 95 right like yeah and one in between in like 93 i think so we had like three demos the first cd also came out in 95 and, and that was all uh, it was called rpp records oh yeah 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 from belgium they also put yeah. out they also put out the burnside uh seven inch yeah they were cool and you Released know least power productions that was the name of it yeah and it was like uh and through them we got to play six shows in 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 and Belgium back then had like a really good scene with let's like a, let's go into that. Uh, so you get asked to do the seven inch or you do, or do a whole CD there. Yeah. How, how surreal did it sound when someone's like, "Yeah, we'll help you come to Europe." Oh, it was crazy. And the dudes in the band were like, they were stoked. We were like, "What? Like Belgium? What the fuck is a Belgium?" You know. So what I mean? lay but, it uh, out. Lay it out. How do you like? Do you buy your own tickets? They book tour. Like, give me the whole rundown of how how it actually played out, like logistically and all. Okay, early on, we uh, we just get stuff in the mail, and it's from Europe. And they're like, somehow they got our demo. And through RPP, they're like, send us more, and we'll distribute them for you. And then I say, okay, you know, and I'm sending them, like, so many throughout, like, the months. And uh, he says, this would be a lot easier if I could just put something out. So basically, the first CD we did was all of our stuff, like, on one CD, and uh, so it was like three demos worth of, of songs and maybe something new. I don't know, but 1995 and they put it out and then they said, this is out. Are you thinking about coming over? And I was like, I don't know. Is it an option? Like how many shows can we get in Belgium? And they're like, well, we'll, you know, you'll play France and Italy and Germany. And I was like, all right. So whoever did it at the time, I honestly, I'm not even positive, like, because it was like we early on, we went to Europe so much and early on we didn't have a consistent booking agent, but they covered it. They just said, they, you know, here's your information and uh, here's where you'll be landing. And, uh, you know, you're going to be here 24 days or whatever it is. And we just flew blindly to the location of the, the tickets that they purchased for us. A stranger's waiting for us with a sign. We get in a tiny ass van. And we just start hitting Europe, you know, but RPP really, you know, they, we knew right away. Cause we had a lot of new songs at the time that we were playing in America that were going over good, but only because we're, you know, playing in front of the same people all the time, those songs on the RPP record, 
people knew him all over Europe and we were just so psyched and the dude was really cool. It was a good relationship. And from there we dealt with a lot of different, uh, a lot of different uh, European labels throughout the years from uh, remember inner rage records. Yeah. Uh, cartel records from Finland. Yeah. They, put they, the they did something that was just like sold so much. We were like, and it was all again, the, the cartel release was all old stuff. So RPP was the first release, but also that, that same year we did do uh, something with, uh, well, you know, we had seven inches early on though, seven inches. Uh, but that 95, we did a, a, a crutch and surrounded split. Seven, uh, That's what I was getting inch. at. Yeah. That was our first. So the CD and the seven inch came out. The, we were obviously psyched on the CD because back then it was like, whoa, a CD. And, well, those know, are also, and just to put this in perspective too, to people listening younger, CDs were not very common for every hardcore band. Early like, on, no. You had to be like a really, like obviously the Roadrunner bands. And um, the victory bands at that time and the revelation stuff started coming out on CD. But if you were just your average band at that time who didn't have a giant label, it was tape, it was vinyl and it was never a CD. So having a CD was a surreal, like, holy shit. Cause Burnside went from a seven inch that Bob put out and sold through his trunk of his car to having a CD. And everyone's like, holy fuck. Burnside has a CD. Yeah, you're right. It was like, for some reason back then, well, it was like so expensive it was like expensive format to to even press back then eventually it would be so cheap and like the way to go for a while but yeah now i look back and i'm more happy about the seven inch because like it's collectible you know what i mean and people ask about it but those two came out the same year but the uh, cd really gave us a big push especially over in europe and then actually when we came home and we had like a you know 100 cds to come home with people over here were bugging out like oh shit you got a cd how'd you do that we're like i don't know some dude hit us up in the mail and we just said yeah go ahead you know it was real loose like the way we we always handled business if somebody seemed cool and they wanted to do something i would always be like go ahead and it almost always works out you know so i can't complain which is interesting because it's basically how the crutch tape was just recently sold through from within 100 (laughs) percent. you're like well you like this guy He's a good guy. Okay. Carter, you could do it. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking, why does crazy dude want to put out a cassette? But you're like, nah, he's cool. I'm like, all right, let him do whatever he wants. Then. It's only well, going to be cool. You know, in the end, I mean, it's like, you know, uh, revisit an old band. I'm, I know I used to like that shit. If I could, when I, you know, when I was younger, if I could get my hands on some, some old stuff, you know, when we talk about the American shows versus the European shows, obviously some of the bigger shows would pack out something like CC's, but you know, the thing that I try to explain to people is you'd see a cool flyer stacked out. Yeah. There was a show, Fury of Five, Crutch, the real deal Burnside at the First Unitarian Church. And it mm. was like a rental that the guys from the real deal did with, uh, I think the Burnside guys put it all together. There might have been 75 people there. And Fury of Five was on the show. Yeah. And yet that's the nature of that time in hardcore where you could have a stacked bill by our standards and you're under a hundred persons, but then some of the more popular lesser, you know, involved in our hardcore would come out and it'd be more like two, 300, 500 in certain cases. Yeah, and it was always, it, it was always surreal to me, the immediate, not drop off, but distance, but it actually just made me be more excited. Like, man, 
I'm into some shit because not everybody knows about these bands, you know, like it was, it was yeah. cool as fuck. And, you know, again, VOD came from that world. You'd see VOD play to 50 people sometimes. Yeah. You know, Madball wouldn't have big shows for until, you know, towards the end of 96, they started really being like, Oh my God, this is a fucking band, you know? So it was a good time. If you were checking out the blood for blood, when you seen them, to 75 people you know at oh that yeah time. i mean i got to play with blood for blood who would become one of my favorite bands i got to play with them at shows where there's like a dozen people sometimes in some weird locations in the middle of nowhere but they they still sounded dope but i look back now and i'm like oh that was cool that was that was awesome and i remember a show i did that i thought was just going to be the bomb and uh it was it was headlined by Warzone, and we brought out crown of thorns and bulldoze and one for one, and then we played, and it was at CC's, and it was dead. It was dead, bro. And I thought it was like a no-brainer, like this is gonna be, gonna be a hit. But it was kind of the height of the, uh, the kind of like let's not support the the tough guy stuff, you know, era. And uh, it wasn't too good. But eventually, I would do another show in Stroudsburg because I had to do something just to like for my ego. And it was uh, you mentioned VOD. We brought VOD out. We had 25 to life. We had uh, a couple other bands from Long Island. So many bands. Dysphoria, I think, might have played it as well. And it was over 700 people. And it was just like a, like a, a game changer because a lot of those bands became, like you couldn't argue, now they're legitimate. you just seen 700 people bugging out for every one of these bands. But when VOD would hit the stage, it was a different level. In PA, that people loved that band, man. There was, I mean, there would be people climbing... Like, I know everyone says like the stage potato thing by today's standard, but a VOD set would be people just trying to get close as shit to be able to sing along while they were like when they, when them big sing alongs would come. Yes. And you know, we see it a lot now where the stage is covered with people, but the first time I remember seeing it was at a VOD show. Oh, absolutely. The whole, the whole crowd. And, and, and you actually were kind of like, what the fuck is that many people here? They're putting people behind the bands. Yeah. And you realize they were like, just, um, so it sounds like at this stage, you're able to play shows, which was something that you were like, ah, that'd be cool. We could do it. Yeah. And you were linking up now internationally. So where, where was the drive with crutch at that time? Were you like just functioning on, Hey, someone asked us to do it. We'll do it. Like I never saw crutch as someone who had, like world domination plans. And I kind of wanted you to give me the lowdown on how the band was kind of like interacting and like what your, what their thoughts were on just. Well, we went through a lot of members like by this time, because the, uh, the original drummer, like I said, he eventually moved out to Pittsburgh and he stayed in the scene and he started dope bands and no retreat was a key band, especially for Western PA. And a lot of, I think it's a lot of reason that a lot of Pittsburgh bands sound the way they do like just that brutal heaviness, low tuned. Like they were like, you know, like everybody's heavy, like beat down. You think, you think bulldoze or, but no retreat is one of the pioneers of that stuff. You know, people, I don't think they realize, I don't think they get the credit they need. So he went out that way. And, uh, we got, we got, uh, our guy cheese. He, he ended up having a baby and it was the weirdest thing. He, he got married and we just never heard from him again. Like to this just day. Disappeared. No Instagram, like, no Facebook? Like, no. And this guy was like my best friend in life. And I just wow. never saw him again. So we got some other dudes and we always kept it going. 
and but we always worked and we said oh we got to work you know and uh, if it would be a tour uh you know then we take off work no big deal but we always worked full-time jobs we never like were trying to get on a major label or any even big label or roadrunner nothing just like wanted to see what's next what's next and we were just more about crutch was about going to shows you know what i mean it wasn't well, until like the end of our of our band really is when we got some offers to do some big stuff that might have taken it to the next level but uh it didn't happen like i remember the last thing we did we were in japan and uh we were doing good and we got some offers to do like this a big tour with a band called tiger army and we're like wow this is crazy like and the money was all of a sudden like offering like crazy money we put out a a full length with ice cream ice cream records from belgium and uh we were like man this could be good and i remember our dude got off the phone he was at a dunkin donuts in 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 japan and it was our singer and he looked all weird and bent out of shape i'm like yo what's up what's wrong with you he's like oh i just talked to my girl Uh, and i'm like yeah He's like, you think you could get me into the union when we get home? Because I was already working That's in the right. union. I was actually like, going to ask you. I was going to get into more of your work stuff later. Yeah. But it, I was probably gotten in the union like 98. Okay. And it's, this is like 2001, 2002. And uh, he's like, could you get me in the union when, when we get home? I'm like, yeah. Why, though? Because, you know, he was never, he never did that type of work. He's like, oh, I just talked to my girl. She had, she's having a baby. I'm like, oh shit. So right there I kind of knew like the band was shot. It was over. And when we got home, I talked to my union dude and I called him up. I was like, yo, I could get you in. He's like, yo, don't don't sweat it. I, I joined the military. I was like, oh, all right. And now was a wrap. <laughs> how much are how much are we allowed to talk about his military life? Just that he's in the military, deep in the military. And that's probably the biggest reason why, despite me pestering you and you denying it, that crutch is probably never gonna be able to play a show. Is that correct? Yeah, he's in. A, he's very deep in the military. Like he's. Uh, we went to uh, an award ceremony once for him. Me and the 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 drummer from No Retreat, who was the original drummer Crutch, and it was in Las Vegas. And we're like an award ceremony. Like what the hell is this shit? And we go there and all dudes decked out in military gear. And I'm not even lying. This four star general comes up to me and Sean. He's like, "So this is your friend, this guy?" We're like, "Yeah, he's a, he's a homie." He's like, one day he's going to be running the United States military. We're like, what? Well, he said that he said the United States Air Force, he said. Wow. We're like, what the fuck? Like, damn. We're like, yo, what are you doing? And he just laughed. He laughed. And I know he's been, you know, I can't, I do know what he does, but. But yeah, we're not going to get into it. Yeah, I can't really say, but his, his last couple of years, he's been stationed right in, in the Pentagon. And now he's in out the of building. the Pentagon. He's in the building. He worked in, in the Pentagon, in the building. And now he's out in the field again. So hopefully he stays safe. But yeah, he, he just took to it. And he was always, a, a, you know, that's a great friend of mine. I talked to him, you know, once a week still. And, you know, you wouldn't know, it, but he's been to This Is Hardcore. He's been to Tsunami Fest. And he comes and he looks all sketchy. And he wears a hat and he talks to a couple of people, watches a couple of bands, and he bounces. You know, like I'll be like, oh, shit, what are you doing here? He's like, oh, yeah, you know, I like so-and-so. I'm going to check him out quick, blah, blah. So he comes out, but, yeah, he, I can't see him playing. You know what I mean? Now, we talked about the work thing, and I want to lay it out for people because when people say, oh, I got a job, Richie lives in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, and he gets up before the sun and gets on a bus 
and goes to New York City and works as a laborer in a concrete company and has been doing that since 1998. And he, yeah. uh, Jotham, who from Wisdom and Chains, shortly did that as a carpenter. But these, these are the kind of jobs that we're talking about here. We're not talking about, oh, you know, he's got a Pizza Hut job. He can't do this tour. We're talking about this is how you make your living. And I think that it, it'd be a real good time for you to kind of explain, like, the drive and the commitment to doing this and still having all this time for hardcore. Yeah. I mean, if, like I always say, if, if you love something, you're going to make time, right? Like, that's how I see it. So when dudes can't, I can't, man, you don't love it. It's all good. You don't got to love it, whatever we might be talking about. But if you loved it, you'd figure it out and you'd make some time. But I got an offer to join the union in the late nineties by my homie Seamus. And I was like, yeah, I was like, maybe, I don't know. Cause I was living in, in South Carolina before that to, to do some other stuff. And then I came back, but even when I was in South Carolina, I come back, I drive back just to play a show and to drive back, you know, it was, I was crazy. So he said, you want to join the union? I said, I don't know. He gave me the, the numbers. I said, all right, let's do it. Like today I'm still in the union. I woke up three 30 this morning. I drive to the bus stop. I take a bus. It gets me there. You know, I walk. I was there very early today. I'm hanging out, work, take the bus home, boom. And if I wasn't talking to you, I'd be doing something else related to the scene or the band or whatever. But I knew right away, like, this is not going to pay, like, the bills because it's not a one-man show. You know, if it was, like, a one-man show, maybe I'd go for it and say, I'm going to try to make a career out of this. But if it's five people involved, you know what I mean? I'm not going to tell five dudes, do this, do that. From the beginning of our new band, of the, our, not new band, our latest band, Wisdom and Chains, I told dudes, if you can't do something, just say it. Nobody's going to sweat it. Nobody's going to be upset because work comes first. You know what I mean? You guys got to work. So we've always been like that. And uh, I've been now in the union like, like 22 years and uh, just doing the same shit. But when I get home, Yo, or, you know, on the weekends, it's about the band. If I got to take time off, it's a, you know, it's a union job. So I don't have like, it's the kind of union you're in. So we don't have sick days. We don't have vacation. But if I, I've been with my company so long, I give them heads up three, four months ahead of time. If I'm going overseas for two, three weeks, it's not a big issue. So I'm lucky in that regard. So I don't want to blow it. But uh, yeah, you can't fuck around, man. Like this is, this is like, like hardcore and what you're doing. Like, like I, I love that you're doing a podcast because I know that you're hurt over this is hardcore and that rug being pulled out from under your feet because of all this stuff going on and it didn't go off this year. So I know that you have to do something for this scene because this scene is like your religion. You know what I mean? And what you're doing with the podcast now is perfect. And I love seeing that, but I feel the same way. This scene is like, it's, it's my, I got, I got, I got to give my thanks it's my religion. You might be laughing at home, thinking that's goofy, thinking whatever, but that's what it is, man. Like, I, I don't fuck around at some church on Sunday. I don't go golfing. You know, I don't have, I don't collect anything. This is it, hardcore is basically my religion. You know, the the biblical verses are lyrics from from Gorilla Biscuits and Agnostic Front, and those are you know those are my biblical verses. And it sounds crazy, but if you want to do it, you just make the time. You don't think twice, you know? Uh, I First of all, thank you for saying and being uh, any bit praiseful towards me. 
as someone who has listened to me talk more than probably anybody in the world, I, I think you understand how crazy my brain gets when I can't get to do what I want. And I yeah. also have to, I also have to throw my hat in there and say, yeah, hardcore is for so many people, the thing that is the glue in their life. And uh, we can talk about it now because you'll understand it even better. Like you went, you met your wife because of hardcore. I met my wife because of hardcore. I got my union job because of Ian, your friend from Pennsylvania, yeah. called me and said, hey, do you want to start a union? And I was, I was living him at, with him at the time when he got that call. Yeah. And that's the thing is, it's like, this is what we do. We get up in the morning. We work. And yeah, you know what? Uh, I like pouring concrete. It's, and, you know, I, I, I make it, I make sure I like it because I'm going to do this till I'm 65 and I'm going to retire. Mm-hmm. But, and so I, I don't go begrudgingly like, I hate this. I don't want to be here like so many guys I work with. I go up and say, hey, man, do I have my tools ready? Going to go. Boom, boom. The minute I'm in my car, my, my buddy Dan Del Sordo, one of my mentors, says, leave it in the concrete, kid. Meaning don't, don't carry an argument that happened that day on the tomorrow. Yeah, leave it in the concrete. When it comes to concrete, there's a lot of fighting and, and bickering. Uh, Fuck you. And potential for violence, right? In the concrete oh, world. Fist fights, <laughs> arguments. If you don't hear fafanculo, you know, or every every curse word and every <laughs> every language ever, you know, like but at the same time is everybody is working towards the same thing. And then so yeah. the minute I get in my car, the phone goes on and I'm booking shows. I'm doing what I gotta do. And my life turns back on. And immediately it's like, okay, I still you know, like today it was Okay, I got done. Uh, you know, I have two hours, so I got to be on the podcast. I do, you know, like these are the things that drive me. It's not, oh, I can't wait to pour this concrete. It's, you know, as soon as I get done work, I'm going to go home and get everything set up. And it's the exciting factor, the same way it would be if I was getting out of a day at work and I had a concrete and I had to go from concrete directly to a show. I had to pack yeah. clothes, you know, or like when I would come up to do the podcast at your house. And go right from work, boom. You know, it's not it. easy. But it's it's what is what makes it easy is the fact that hardcore matters that fucking much that you'll take that extra time. And it's like, oh yeah, cool. I gotta go do something on a weeknight. All right, cool. I guess I'm gonna have less sleep, but I'm not gonna not do it. You know, it doesn't matter if I have to get up early. It doesn't matter to be on site at four in the morning for concrete. Yeah. And and, and I totally believe that hardcore has all the aspects of a religion. And I think you know, especially with us in Philadelphia with the first Unitarian, I said, this is our church. This is our home. And I, I so I, I'm all in on that. And I, and I don't think it's corny. And if you think it's corny, hey, man, fuck you. Let's Simple. say to my fuck face, you, you cocksucker. <laughs> no, I think what I was getting at with the crush thing is, is, and one of the things that separates bands is either a professional that comes in to the mix with a band and says, hey, guys, here's the deal. I'm going to make you guys famous. I'm going to make you guys so much money. And then there's the path less traveled in some ways of now we got this on our own. It is what it is. We're going to make it work or, Hey, it'll become, you know, what it needs to become on its own time. And I feel like the most important thing that crutches story is for me being young enough that it was like super special and, you know, but having been there and seen it, like, Crutch was a glue and like a PA hardcore staple. And I could be anywhere at that time traveling. And someone's like, oh, PA, you know, Crutch? I know, yeah, I know fucking Crutch. You know, like when you, guys, 
when you guys came out with the CD that wasn't released, not the RPP, the one that came out later, and it had like the mafia thing and all, like you guys had an mark of your own at the time and for Pennsylvania. And so a lot of people are always going to not wax nostalgically, though we do have friends that wax nostalgically, but young people that just look at it with like, oh my God, it must have been amazing. But really, honestly, the, the great story about Crutch is you guys really put a lot of things in motion by just being a band. You guys became the road that so many other bands drove on. And so, yeah, I'm sorry that you're not living off of touring and you have to get up and pour concrete. But if you guys <laughs> didn't do what you did, we may not have had some of the things that we have. And so it's important to recognize that although, yeah, you know what, you're not going to have a gold record on your wall, but you going out and leaving Pennsylvania and meeting up with these people, these are foundation things that you created that are locked in 20 something years later for all of us, you know, like the connection between crutch and fury of five, the connection between crutch and 25 to life, the connection between crutch and blood for blood. There's so many of these things. And in, in Europe, it's even more, I mean, it, it's, it needs to be said, and that's why I'm taking this time to talk a little longer and just say that although, that. although, although you may just look at, ah, I did that when I was a kid and we played some house parties and eventually, you know, it did what it did. There, there's a lot of people that look at crutch as a founding situation and it gave so many people who don't even realize what you guys did for hardcore later on so it needs to be said that you know it, as you're getting up at three in the morning and you're coming home and you're playing shows you know you're you unwit unwittingly were setting a foundation for so many more people down the line you know what when we first went to europe one thing that really bothered us was on a lot of the flyers it said crutch nyhc and we were like yo what the fuck and then we were like D does any band like like you know pump that they're from pa or is that some like shit they're trying to hide from right and we remember like turmoil was like a big band at the time like you know for for the pa and and we looked into it and if turmoil was like it said philadelphia hardcore well they had moved to philadelphia from jim thorpe pennsylvania awesome town by the and way. they did cool. they stole step ahead who was a band from roxborough philadelphia and members of the band would go on to be quite famous mainly dave house and his solo career and whatnot mm -hmm. but they did this band called step ahead and they had the philly cream cheese, cheese i remember that rock logo. Yep. yep until turmoil that. until turmoil moved to philadelphia and then yeah. they had that shirt <laughs> that's that bothered me though because i was like Fuck that shit. PA hardcore. Like, you know, like PA. Yeah, you guys, what, you guys were why is that an issue? Like, why do people not rep PA hardcore? Like, honestly, in the last 10 years, easy, it's been the mecca for hardcore in the United States. I mean, if you could go, like, we could just, we could just, I mentioned Turmoil already. I could keep mentioning bands. I could mention Cold World. could mention Title Fight. We could mention Blacklisted, Black, Blacklisted uh, American Nightmare. Nightmare is from Massachusetts. Oh, are they, well, who's a band that's like American Nightmare that's from your way? Horror show. Horror show. Yo, it's just we could go on and on. I just don't know yeah. too much about that that kind of stuff. But you know, I get my shit confused. But I mean, PA is deep, and and not only is PA known for a lot of bands, but shows like this is hardcore takes place in PA. You know what I'm saying? Before that, we had Posse Numbers Fest. You know what I mean? 
before that we had weird you know perverted little versions of that that you went to like in the backyard of cc's you know it was like you've seen where it came from but i'm not saying other states aren't dope and have dope bands but consistently no pa for for like new york hardcore that's my favorite shit but i mean who's new york hardcore now like you know it's it's over the new york hardcore as we know there's bands from long island that are great and sedentary is one of the best but it's not you know that's it's long island it's a different i would say that aside from a handful of younger bands who are really trying to ignite and kickstart a new era for new york hardcore and especially in the last couple years pennsylvania has held a huge influence. I mean, we just did Keystone Jam in the winter version. Yeah. And that was one of the best shows. And I mean, again, you know, who headlines? Of course, Gorilla Biscuits headlines. Of, of course, course, One King Down Place. Of course. And, you know, these are all three different kinds of New York hardcore bands. But I do believe Pennsylvania, whether it was Reading, whether it was Philadelphia, whether it was CC's, and even some of them crazy Allentown shows in the late 90s, and I, I wanted to get into that in a second. So I just want to say, like, you know, Pennsylvania is such a central located area to the East Coast. Mm-hmm. So many people are willing to travel down to it. And I didn't actually factor that in until watching Hellfest fall apart in 2005. And I'm like, yeah, we really actually could do a pretty big thing. You know, like, policy numbers have been popping off, but I want to do something, like, big. So I'm like, fuck, people come to Philly. Yeah, you know what? We are going to do our own fest. So I, I, I'm all in on that. I mean... East Coast Tsunami has been going on for this would be their this would have been their tenth year, would it not? Or it would have been their eleventh year this year. And yeah. you know, there's just a lot of people that yeah, you're absolutely right. We don't have PA hardcore hats, we don't have the legacy sometimes, but you know, constantly here time and time again, like the Gavins from Burn and stuff, talk about the crazy Allentown show, sheer terror. You know, we Pennsylvania has left an indelible unparalleled mark on hardcore. I mean, even before I was at what I was booking, Robbie Redcheeks put on some of the best shows in Philadelphia. And then also Sean Agnew, who Mm. although is so fucking diverse and booked everything under the sun, like we have managed and and RIP to Brian Dilworth. Brian Dilworth is probably one of the most unsung by DIY standards promoters, but like, we've mastered the art of putting on the sickest shows and it's, you know, it's Chris Mushmouth has been doing it, you know, myself, but I came from the Sean Agnews. I came from Robbie Redcheeks. I came from the Brian Dilworths and the Tim Boars who put on these kind of shows. And I was like, fuck, that's our legacy is we're putting on the shows that people are going to travel down to. Yeah. And kids in the scene, PA in the PA scene, they don't fear sweating a band from somewhere else where sometimes especially in the early days that was an issue like you can't like a band they're from the here they're from there. oh god yeah. the people here showed love like they just showed love and if you're from new york city if you want to go out west what do you got to do first thing first you got to drive through new jersey and a long way through pennsylvania you got a long route and the, the show the places we had to play i mean from Clearfield. if you're looking in the northeast pa area from home base metro backstage Westside Park and Nanticoke. Around here, we had Spanky's, Penn Monster Factory, Sherman Tinks. Theater. Yeah, Tinks up in Scranton. Lehigh Valley, you had, you know, besides Airport Music Hall, you had Scarlet's. Remember Oliver J's? Yeah, Oliver J's. Way back in the day. Like, this is, and so many venues. That, in planet, that planet Trog in Whitehall. Yeah. 
Yeah, this is, yeah I mean, they always um, made it work. The kids yeah. here, one way or another, they always figured something out, and we never went through a dry run where there was just no shows. Like something was always figured it out. You know, it's it's a, it's a really great scene. It doesn't it doesn't get the props it deserves, and uh, but people know, like you know, when people are buying their plane tickets to come to your fest. And they're so excited to hang out and get a cheesesteak and go see the sights. They know what's up. It's, it's PA hardcore, baby. One of the things that I don't know how much you understand is that payback and Bob Wilson and all these guys, you know, they came from a small town. Bob didn't come from a small town called Boyertown. He came from a town called uh, Doylestown or somewhere in that crazy area. I heard um, all these kids came from, Doylestown and Boyertown and um, I mean there's the there's so many weird ones even further out and they put PA hardcore on their sleeves now man. hell they yeah rep it, and they rep it hard and I was down in FYA in Florida which is obviously a PA hardcore man Bob Wilson running the show bringing it to Florida so we have a winter vacation so to of speak of course and just seeing the PA hardcore excitement and shit was just like. Like back to thinking about it, like, yeah, man, like you didn't like there was crutch gear, there was strength gear, there was mushmouth gear, there was dysphoria gear, and that was yeah. it. Like you didn't have that, you didn't have that like pride. And so No. And that's what a lot of those other bands we were talking about early on would shy away from for whatever reason. They would think that was something that was corny or you shouldn't do it. Like they'd be like PA and, and they're PA dudes. So but I don't sweat looking corny. I mean, it is what it is. Whatever happens, happens. But once we saw we were in Europe and half the flyers said New York hardcore. And then we talked to the promoter. It was like, Oh, we just assume we, we knew we got, Oh, for now on, we got to make it clear where we're from. You know, we're not fronting, even though our singer is from New York in crutch, our guitar player was from New York, but where I live in Stroudsburg is kind of a weird place. Everybody's from somewhere else, but still, once we're here, we're here, baby. It's, it's BA all day. Now, one more thing about the crutch thing. Am I wrong in that you did play you did play a crazy dynamo, didn't you? Not a dynamo. We played with full force was probably That was the, the one. Fest. That was one. Yeah. That was the biggest one. How many people were at that thing? The year we played it, I think uh there was like sixty five thousand. That's insane. Yeah, it was insane. And uh Slayer was playing the they were headlining that year. And I remember our, our guitar player, Chris, who's now in Wisdom and Chains. He's like a more of a shy guy, you know? I was like, yo, when Slayer plays, we got to get on the stage. He's like, no, they'll never let us on the stage. I was like, we got these backstage pass. Of course they'll let us on the stage. So, boom, I grab his hand like he's my girl. I pull him up on the stage. Boom, we're on the stage. We're watching Slayer. We can't believe it. I look out into the crowd, and I see, like, the sound tower. And I'm like, yo, Chris, we got to get a better spot. Let's go to the sound tower. He's like, no way. They'll never let us. Grab him, go through the crowd, go to the sound tower climb up the thing, show my past. Guys don't even second guess. We watched the the whole Slayer set from like sunset. Like it was all like sky was beat red and blood red. And we watched a Slayer in, in Germany in front of tens of thousands of people from the sounds, uh, that sound spot. It was like so dope. But yeah, with Full Force was probably the, we, we were lucky enough to play a lot of big festivals with uh, Crutch, but that was probably the biggest one. I, I always go back to thinking that you just don't realize how many people who just either shun hardcore or they're just not aware of it or they can't conceptualize that it's something that would be in hand in hand with a slayer show 
Yeah. And so Europe just they just blow me away by just being able to say, "Hey, fuck it." We'll put you on the show. Yeah, you know. And I'm telling you, it works. Like, that's why I don't understand. Like, they don't do it here. Like, I've seen these bands. I don't want to talk about my own bands because I don't want to sound cocky. But I've seen, because a lot of hardcore bands are in those mix. I've seen hardcore bands kill it in front of tens of thousands of people. The same bands that I saw at home in a small, tiny spot with 120 people. I saw them on a big, the stage itself is bigger than half the venues I've seen them in in America. And they kill it, and they get the crowd going crazy. And the, the the people, these metalheads, are like they're primed for it, they're ready for it. And I know it could work here, but when they do stuff on that level here, they're talking about, uh, you know, what what age bracket does this band draw? What are their sales like? And they're, they're worrying about a lot of stuff that almost doesn't matter when it comes to the heavy live music experience. You know what I mean? These, I know these bands could win over crowds over here. No, and that's one of the hardest things to realize is that an American idea towards heavy music is so about, I don't know if it's, maybe Sonny could probably explain it, but like, it seems like the music idea is like, oh, this would never work. This would never work. This would never work. Yeah. And, it, and it's just proven in Europe that that's complete horseshit. Yeah, it's already it's a proven science. It can work. We've seen it work. Just like, so now we're seeing a lot of these heavy music festivals in America and just it's weird because just just this year it was supposed to sick of it all and agnostic front were supposed to do two festivals here with metallica in north carolina i was like yo that's like european style stuff maybe stuff is starting to change of course it never happened because of the pandemic but uh i i know it's it could it could because especially with those bands like they're like legacy bands that when the dude who likes metallica is like who's playing sick of it all holy shit i remember sick of it all they're gonna be they're gonna be psyched a lot of them. Not everybody's going to remember, but they, they could pull it off. I've seen it done. I've seen Madball capture a crowd. Uh, and, Cypress and have, Hill. Remember we were at Cypress Hill watching them? Totally, yeah. We've seen that. That was like a totally different scenario than, you know, because the Euro crowds are like mad. You know, yeah, they yeah. want the heavy music. We saw we saw Madball own it playing with Cypress Hill. Like opening for Cypress Hill, so it's a, clearly a Cypress Hill show. It's not like there's three other heavy bands on the bill. It's just Madball, and they killed it. Like yeah, you know, these bands they they could do that. You know, hardcore. It's like that's the thing. It's like you're not going to see the sales. Nobody because I don't give a fuck like what we sell. I give a fuck that there's a reaction in the crowd. If there's no reaction, I'm bummed. If we sold five records, I don't know. If we sold fifty thousand, I don't know. I, I don't care. I want to see the reaction in the crowd, and then I want to go home and, and eat something. That's all. I think you basically laid out the foundation of the truth behind every real hardcore show. It's like I, I never asked once, oh, do we sell a lot of merch? I always went like, yo, man, people are fucking killing each other. Or, That's oh, it. God, man. So one of the things that I wanted to touch on because that was so important, I always said is like there was a huge difference between not just like that stage of hardcore but like you could drive and travel out and have a show somewhere you never expected that would kill and you could also have a show that you think this is the one this is the one that's going to destroy yeah yeah and it would fucking bomb and i just wanted to know domestically since we're shifting back to this side of the world what do you think the best crutch show besides that scrounging one was that wasn't in pennsylvania that wasn't in pennsylvania um we had a. Uh... I mean, we had some really great shows in 
in Providence, Rhode Island. Like it was just that a time cafe. Where, yeah. And uh, even a couple different, I forget the club hell. Yeah. 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 Okay. Club hell was, we had a sick show there. I remember, I remember like in the middle of uh, maybe a few years back, like Baltimore was just bumping. We had some sick shows in Baltimore. Uh, I can't, of course, you know, we're talking non PA. So I'm trying to, trying to think um, back in uh, the 2015 um, black and blue bowl. That was great. I mean, we had like an earlier slot, so we felt really justified to have like a real good uh, a crowd reaction. We've been lucky, man, because people are people treat us nice. People are nice to us, and and you know, and I'm not the type of band like if you don't like it, don't check it out. Like you know, I know how it is. I don't want people just doing me a favor to stand there and be like, well, I watched you, you know. But nah, if you if you dig, then. And then go off for us, and I appreciate it. But we've been lucky; like people seem to to back us, and we could do good in, in you know in, in certain spots. But you know, we, we never know. It could be it, it's a roll of the dice, man. You could, like you said, you could think this is our spot. We kill this joint. Oh shit, crickets up in here. Nobody, nobody gives a fuck. Anything could happen. That you know. But uh, yeah, we were lucky, man. We throughout the years, different locations became like the hot spots. And it's usually based around booking agents, or not booking agents, but kids that are booking, and uh, local bands and venues. And those same spots that were hot, like that's why PA stayed on top, I think, because it never got, it never got like weak. But some states and cities, like, oh, that's the spot. And then all of a sudden, they lose their key club. They lose their key guy to book the shows. Their band broke up, and, and it just goes downhill. You know, PA always had a dude like you, working at it and saying this is the place i'm gonna find the next place to play and then you got a lot of friends a lot of young dudes that are doing the same thing you know in in smaller little in smaller little uh towns and stuff i mean if i think about it if i think about like even erie remember erie continental ballroom forward hall like the four hall shows in erie i don't know if they're matched by like by anything right now because Erie was not a place that had shows super often. So those bills were always outstanding. Yeah. You know, like Eerie they might have had their own dope. smaller shows, but when they did like a big one, especially for like the Shocktober or like, yeah, remember when uh, Mushmouth Punishment played in uh, the Shocktoberfest and you're there, you're just like, yeah, so sick. Yeah. We got to, with Wisdom and Chains, we got to play uh, a Shockwave uh, show and it was so fucking crazy. I mean, it's so crazy. Like it's, it's, um, Erie kind of has the vibe of sort of like the more exclusive scene because those dudes are, you know, they, they, they get their shit hopping. They do good, but they're not like, they don't exclude people, you know, but they are, they're like, you know, a, a sub genre within hardcore kind of a lot of Christian stuff going on there. A lot of straight edge stuff went on there, but still they were always psyched to have bands come through and treated everybody good. But Erie's another, uh, another spot in PA it's unsung Harrisburg. And the championship, they had, I mean, with Wisdom and Chains, we, I don't think we've ever been there with Crutch, but with Wisdom and Chains, we had some insane shows at, in, uh, in Harrisburg. And I just saw a clip today because I heard the Rex Theater in Pittsburgh got shut down. And somebody put wow, up a, that sucks. Yeah, somebody put up a show where uh, Code Orange was kind enough to throw us on the bill for their record release, and it was sick, bro. Like, it was just yeah pa from end to end has and let's not even forget like clearfield how crazy that fucking place was middle of nowhere can't and, believe yo, the, 
their best venue was an abandoned prison. It yes. was in an abandoned prison that had multi-level tiers and cells and kids were just, I mean, it's a big drug addict, crazy drunken scene out there, but I mean, the kids would just party and be, be in, in the cell rooms and, and, and jumping off the balconies and, but they had something going on for a while, but then when their, their bands died out, you know, the scene died out, but. Well, that's um, actually a great way to segue what I was going to talk about. Whereas I think some people, have a problem jumping to the next band. And I mean, Philadelphia's biggest problem is we've always had great shows, but we come in groups or one by one of bands that kind of get beyond the local area. But I feel like crutch beyond you just joining Mushmouth and with strength for reason and just all the, I mean, there were so many bands that were just all CC's bands, but the bigger thing when you're talking about the towns the legacy of crutch is in all the people that were there that didn't leave hardcore kept doing bands or just kept going to shows. And there's so many people that just don't do that. And they just like, Oh, my band's over time for me to just fucking be, uh, I don't know, a normal human being. And you know, I don't know what they do. And yeah. I, and I, I never stopped when punishment stopped. I didn't stop when I stopped singing for shadow realm and I, I never stopped and I've never been in a relief. But the, the big thing is our part of Pennsylvania has always been championed and carried on by hardcore people, regardless of year, regardless of what it is. And I think it's because of the, I don't know if it's just because of all the towns and how, yeah. I mean, you know, you got just in our area, Doylestown and Levittown. And dude, there's so many of these small little places I could think of that had small halls and small micro scenes. Yeah. But where they were the kind of con- Ziggy, Ziggy booked at. He did it at this Y. And I remember, I, I'm just not familiar because there was like a place. Was it Lansdale? Lansdale's one spot, but there's another place. That the, the Phoenixville was a place they did. That's right. Yeah. There's like, there's all these different little villes or towns mm-hmm. throughout Pennsylvania that have their own like 25 to 30 people. Like this is our spot, but the big show comes and everyone comes together. The PA and, dudes travel for real. Oh, we'll travel fucking anywhere for the show. And that yeah, was like yeah. the thing. I went to a firehouse and saw Crutch Free at five and one for one. And I was like, didn't understand what a firehouse show was. And then we got there. <laughs> we're like, I didn't, I, I, I never, I mean, like we have city firehouses, but you guys yeah. got like the firehouse with the hall and all that shit. And we don't have that. Yeah. In the smaller areas of PA, there's no, there's only volunteer firefighters. So they have a firehouse and a way for them to make money because they're not paid. They're guys with regular jobs. And if the alarm goes off, they show up, but they rent out the firehouse. So people could rent it out and play bingo. If some, somebody wants, or they could rent it out and do a show. And that's kind of, yeah, that became a thing. A fire hall show was, you know, in Eastern PA all over the place, different little towns. I remember that crazy show at the pancake house. It's an infamous show with life of agony and option. And, uh, you know, somebody rented out a pancake house to do a hardcore show. We, I remember seeing my uh, singer, singer's old band, Feeble, play a McDonald's in uh, in Carlisle, PA. Like, dude, Carlisle, Carlisle had the weirdest shows. Yeah, like they whoever did it just wanted to make it happen, and he had a. They played in the front of the cash registers in that in a McDonald's. I don't even know what that was going on. This is post-COVID ideas 101 for anybody yeah. who's thinking about what to do when all the small clubs start shutting down. But like you said, when dudes like switch up bands, like in my band now, I just mentioned Feeble, like Joe, 
and our bass player Evan are from Feeble. And uh and myself and Chris were from Crutch. And before that, me and Joe were in Mushmouth. And me and Joe were in and Chris were in box cutter together. You know, and like uh, and Joe was he played drums in in Strength for a Reason. And uh just yeah, it's it's like we love music and writing music and playing shows. Like the goal at the end, honestly, is just to write music, play music, and go to shows. So it's easy to keep that going. But yeah, you, like you said, some people, the band is up and they don't go to shows anymore. They don't yeah, care. That's, and that's fine. Yeah. And that's fine too. But honestly, yo, I've, I've seen it. Cause I'm at that age. They become miserable pricks and they come back for visits here and there when they need to feed them their soul. You know, it's almost like people going back to the church. Like I haven't been to church in years. Fuck that. Oh, something's wrong. My life is incomplete. I'm going back to church so they could come back to the church, and I hope they enjoy themselves while they do. But remember, it's a very important part for a lot of people. So you shouldn't, like these haters, always the people like, yeah, fuck, okay. come on, bro. Watch your mouth because it's important. It's an important thing to a lot of people. And just by the way you're talking, I know it's important to you too, but not you, but the person that was complaining. But by the way you're complaining, I could tell that, you you fucked up and you did something where you're not welcome anymore you know this is like a self-policing scene it's a beautiful thing for the most part anybody that complains about it is really reaching because bad shit could happen but come on man i mean for this the way this is and, and the way the we conduct business it's it's relatively now i'm gonna say it's very safe for everybody at this point you know safer Anything than it happen yeah, safer than I can ever think of another time. Totally. For all the players involved. And we got to look out for everybody. We got to look out for, for, you know, the new kids. We got to look out for the, the younger girls. We got to look out for everybody. And bad stuff can happen. But nothing's going to happen in the light. You know, if stuff happens in the it's darkness. Always, it's always we, some sneaky, dark shit. Yeah. And if and, that happens, we can't, you know, I mean, we could only react afterwards. But for the most part, you know, we're, we're, everybody's safe everybody's welcome and it's a really it's a really beautiful thing at this point what do you regret the most about the time when you were we, we talked earlier about crutch what do you think is your biggest regret is at that time uh, at that time um it's hard to say i mean there's always like regrets like musically, I listen to this stuff and I'm kind of bummed out on a lot of it. I wish I could work on it better. Got better recordings, stuff like that. Um, there was, it, I, I can't, I, I, it's not like a regret, but I regret that it happened, but it was out of my control. Is like the one guy I mentioned who just, when he left the band, we just never heard from him again. I wish early on I made more effort to just, instead of having pride and being like, yo, what's up? Was he ever going to come back around? Like, what's, what's up with this fool? I should have just reached out to my homie, Josh Cheeseman. Like, he disappeared. But at the time, I was kind of like, you know, felt a certain way. Yeah, prideful. It. Prideful. Yeah. Like, hey, fuck him. And nowadays, I would just be like, oh, I didn't see this dude in three days. Let me hit him up. Yo, what are you doing? And maybe that's all it would have took back then. Yeah. But I let it go so far. And I'm not the only one, obviously, but I let it go so far that at this point, like, you know, what does it matter? But, yeah, I wish I would have uh, played that better because almost everybody I've ever been in a band with, um, almost everybody, you know, we mentioned Rick earlier. He's an exception. But almost everybody I've ever been in a band with, I'm cool with. 
you know what I mean? And, and it's all good. And it's like all love. And, you know, we were part of something special that we had fun with together. And I don't ever, you know, make that out to be a small thing. So, but I regret that I let uh, my homie go without reaching out for so long. I don't know what's up with him. What do you miss the most about that era? Oh, uh, the, 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 what I miss the most is to discover like in real time, like now we probably, we know what we're getting into at every show we go to and we could just hear the bands, you know, beforehand or we've had, you know, if band X is playing in Philly tomorrow and I'm like, yo, uh, or you say, yo, Rich, come check band X. They're good. Oh yeah, maybe I'll check them out tonight on the computer, my phone. Oh yeah, they are good. Huh? You know, the real time excitement of being blown away by a band is extinct like there's no there's no glory for the hardcore archaeologist anymore to discover that you know so that kind of sucks i couldn't agree more in fact bands send so many band camps and i listen to them and either the production is so over the top that i'm like wow this sounds cool and live it just doesn't bring it or the production is so good that i'm like emotionally not excited i'm like I got to see this live to see if this hits because everybody has the same homogenized process sound now. So I I agree. The shock of seeing a band that you were unaware of. Yeah. For me, it was blood for blood and VOD. Like those two distinctively, like, especially like VOD. Like I didn't know what I was getting into. I, I didn't know who they were when I first saw them. And then I was like, other people are there were hip to them and going fucking bananas. And that always, when you have good support, it always makes it, you know, it's, it's, it's always good for the band. But I was blown away by, by those two bands without ever hearing them or even knowing their name before, you know? So those are two exa- examples. You probably have plenty too. Like you just walk into place and you're like, Oh, let me check out. I know I'm here to see so-and-so or I rode here with a certain band that I'm hanging out with. Let me check this. And when you're blown away, you're like, yo, and it almost at that point they got you. If their demo sounds like shit, it's you. You love it anyway because you saw it. You know you felt yeah. it. Yeah. You know. If you think about CC's and Musik PA, for people who have not been there, you would come down the small little road off a highway, and you would turn into a driveway. The venue was a bar plus another back area and a small club. And the back had this weird like volleyball sand pit deck thing. And then everybody would hang and get 40s and drink. And it, you would normally, I think by today's standard now, I think people would say, oh, this is sketchy looking or whatever they'd say. But what I found is that being at CC's was not just walking up and saying hi to everybody and not like a, not just a cheers where everybody kind of knew your name, but like everybody was in it together. And everybody was like, oh, you're here? All right, cool. We didn't have to know who you really were. We knew you were here. I mean, there was fights and there Mm -hmm. was some dumb shit from time to time. But for the most part, it was very welcoming. And because we didn't have cell phones. And and I've been thinking about my growing up in hardcore. And I just am so thankful that we didn't have the cell phones to divide us. Because so many friendships were made in that time. And I wanted to know if you agree or disagree about that. Yeah, for sure. It's like, uh, it wasn't like we saw somebody's face on uh, Facebook or Instagram 
and we could tell that they we knew ahead of time they were going to be somewhere and they know this girl that we know and you know it was raw dog who's this dude oh so and so knows him and so like when i remember when i first i saw you a couple times i didn't know who you were and i said to somebody like who's this crazy little dude that's always up here like who's he who's he with and somebody's like oh he's from philly and i don't know if it was true but they told me you took a bus or something and i was like that i did takes- take a bus on three separate shows up there i i said that dude takes a bus like a, a from philly to come to this show that is sick that dude's crazy. i love that dude you know what i mean i didn't like even know you and i remember like uh, you know a while later we got to know each other and, and that crazy shit broke out at that show you had in philly Wow. And, uh, and and at the end of the club, it's kind of like our friends were like beefing with each other. And I, I remember like the place was in shambles and you put like a, a deposit on it. And I told my friends like, yo, we got to help this dude clean up this club because and some dudes were mad because like, you you know, they were mad at your friends. Your friends were mad at them. I was like, this dude, when you put money down in his joint. It's wrecked. We were here, you know, like we're, we're partially responsible for this. We got to stay, help clean it up. And I always, I always liked you just from that story of, of the buses. You took a bus to the show because I was like, yeah, when dudes do that, and especially young, and I could tell like you weren't a rich kid. You know what I mean? You were like kind of like a broke dude like the rest of us, and you were just making it work. Like you, you wanted to get there, and you made it happen. But, yeah, like it's, it is. It was special bonds, and that's why. 20 something years later who am i still hanging out with chris mavramatis who yeah. i met you know who knows when you like you know mad joe Stickman, who i met when he just came to a show we were playing at at studio one to this day you know like it's yeah we we really built some serious friendships and so many of them are still stable and strong you know it's impressive other people my age they have no social life like nothing None. Yeah, and it's really weird. And you know, because you work with union guys, and the only thing they're concerned about is retiring. Oh, retire soon, retire. And they maybe look forward to like a, a one-week vacation where they're going to the Jersey Shore or something like that, and that's their whole life. Like We do the same work they do, plus we have this, this huge spiritual connection with people around the planet somehow and friends that if we go down, they pick you up, and if we see them down, we pick them up. And it's like just constant. We see it. We share. Go fund me. Help this dude. Oh, this look what happened. Boom. Let's go here. This guy's birthday. That you know, it's just it's a beautiful thing. It all came from those days and and, and this music. But I'm confident when you mentioned bands like Payback and the the new breed coming up, those dudes are they're spitting image. And they would have been right in the mix with us back in the day. They just have a different means of going about it because they got, you know, they got some special items at their disposal we didn't have. But they got similar personalities, man. I see a lot of good stuff with these young dudes. Pennsylvania, through Crutch, made a lasting friendship across the pond with Knuckle Dust and LBU. Yeah. And then when Shattered Realm, my first time with them, we played a festival and I got to meet the kids in 50 caliber and our girl Martine. Yeah. And because of hardcore and because of this, the connection between London and Pennsylvania and now through Philadelphia, it's just a crazy idea to think like, you know, two years ago, Tony and I got on a flight because of Martine and went and played in Leeds 
<laughs> just to do it. Beautiful. And, you know, I went from the job to my house and went to the show. And I got home for Sunday night at God only knows what time in the morning and got up and went and grinded and rubbed concrete all day. <laughs> and I was How sick happy. is that, right? And like, Bro, it's, it's such a small percentage of society that could relate to what you did because you lived like two lives right there. You know what I mean? That, I was really cool. I was smiling ear to ear the whole day. And and that's where I was going to get to. Like the hard work that comes from shows and the hard work that comes from the kind of work that we do, they're very, they're very hand in hand. And, and I, and I would feel lost without having this hard work. And so this podcast is like the next stage of like working hard and hardcore and there would be no this is hardcore podcast without you and it's because of the times that i've gone up to your house and done post america podcast your podcast with chris mav and jotham that i was kind of like well i mean and I, I remember i sat in when you did the john joseph you know uh interview yeah. at the back of champions and i was like i mean these guys are really doing a cool podcast, but I didn't, I didn't have anything that I really wanted to say. And I didn't know, I didn't have my place where I could do something that wasn't, I'm doing my thing, but it's basically just your thing, just my voice. And so I, I, I say it all the time, but I just really appreciate you and Chris Mav really pushing and helping me get this off the ground because this has been transformative in me. Like I, I really, I really needed to take a different, step in, in the direction with hardcore and how to help and, you know, talk about things. Cause you know, me, I love talking and I love yeah, hardcore. Man. So this is great, but I just really appreciate you giving me the guidance and the friendship. Um, one of the things that I don't think many people really care to know or do care 10 years ago, I was just getting off house arrest and I really do have rich to thank because the entire time during house arrest, I felt like Rich was calling to check in because I was losing my fucking mind. And we have been friends, but we really got close about 11 years ago. And I have changed so many of my mindsets and just the way that I react to things because of shit that you said. Like, come on, man, what's wrong with you? Or oh, I, yeah? <laughs> like, there's so many things that if you and I didn't connect on that extra level, that I would be so much far behind. And I just really appreciate that. And I, and I don't, and that's good to say, I probably tell you about a million times that, but I just wanted to say that publicly that. No, I appreciate that, man. And, so, and it's all love. I always love talking to you and you are, you are like a very deep thinking, thorough person. And there's so many assets that come with that and, and quality, good qualities, but it also could, I've seen it before. It could drive the person crazy. You know what I mean? So when I, I see you crazy. get, yeah, when I see you getting a little too, you know, too thorough, too thoughtful about topics that I think you could, you know, you're better off not thinking about. Yeah, I'm definitely going to open my mouth and say something because I don't want my man being all upset over some, some dumb shit. You know what I mean? But you like, you're always, one thing about you when you, when you do something that's, you know, we all do, when you do something that's ridiculous, you like, you, you put a hundred, you're like, you're all about it. And then the next day you're like, no, that was stupid. I, I was wrong. That's dumb. You know, blah, blah, blah. You always, you know, you come correct, as they say. And I, I've seen it a million times, and that's a great quality. But, I mean, what you're doing, what you have going on, what you did with my band, 
the way you have, you know, you, you looked out tenfold. So, you know, the, the least I could do is throw you some advice about a, a podcast. You know what I mean? And I'm loving your podcast, you know, the, especially Chris, Chris Spears that brought a lot of memories back, man. What, and what a good guy. And it's almost like I'm bummed that I, I haven't been talking to him as much as like, I used to talk to that dude like every day, you know, but it was good to hear his voice and, He's such a cool, cool, good dude, man. But this podcast you're doing is important. It's got a different spin, and I, I really like it, man. It's very cool. I, I appreciate that more than you can understand. It's hard because, again, there was I've been on a guest in your podcast multiple times, and I've been on a guest as other people's podcasts, but I didn't have what I wanted. And now that I kind of start to idea, the idea is there, the people are starting to come, and it's starting to make sense. It's just like now go with the flow, find the flow that makes sense. And a lot of it is just from constant conversations with you. One of the things that I wanted to kind of like leave off on is just you explaining everything that you're up to currently, because honestly I did crispier in the way that we talk about someone who needed to be out in the spotlight. And so many people had said about his episode, it is amazing to hear what this guy did and oh my God. And obviously he's living very happily in Pennsylvania as a family guy. The band isn't dead. In fact, I think the same day it came out, Chris went back to the office and went through and like was checking out band stuff and texted one of the guys in the band and was like, Hey, we still have money in the, in the cash box. Like the, that band's never going to be dead. Yeah. But not with Chris. It was, it's easier to gloss through two and a half hours with Chris because his his time is super important, but it's a shorter in the total amount. I mean, I could do a thousand podcasts with you. And as you're one of my closest friends on the earth, I want to have you back. And we are already conceptualizing and talking and saying, you know, hey, we got to do an episode where we do this. So for those listening, the reason why we didn't get full Richie Crutch, the entire biography is it's too fucking long. And we want to have him back on. And as I said earlier, we can have a plan to do another one of these and have it be specifically about one topic. And I just appreciate you. And I just wanted you to kind of lay down what you've been go- got going on with the podcast and the band, and then just drop me all your socials, man. Okay. Yeah. With the podcast still going, I think we, I think we started that thing like 2015. So it's, it's, you know, we didn't do a ton of episodes because we, we went through some spots where, you know, we just got lazy, but lately I've been doing a lot of one-on-ones because it's, it's been easier with this pandemic situation. And the other guys are just like, Chris is working on his end to, you have 114 podcasts as of two days ago. Yeah. 114 and, and kind of switched up. Like most of it, most of them are us just bullshitting with each other, answering goofy questions, making fun, talking shit. But lately, since I've been going one-on-one, I've been, you know, it's been like, you know, more standard interview stuff with people that I like. And, uh, but hopefully we'll be all back together as a three piece again, pretty soon. So the podcast is still going. I got uh, two next ones. I got one with Pierre from knuckle dust. You just mentioned them. I got one with slain, the actor rapper. That was really interesting. And, uh, I'm working on getting, uh, Stefan from knuckle, uh, from, uh, I'm sorry kickback from a kickback from france he's a really crazy character like a very a nutty guy he'll be interesting 
So we're still doing the podcast. We just put out a seven inch with the band. You know all of that. It came as a split with Sharp Shock from Cali. And we, we're writing for a new album. I'm working every day. I'm hanging with my girl. You mentioned my wife, but it's only a fiance as for now. If she continues to play her cards right, I'll marry her. No, I'm going to marry. She's the best. But, uh, you know, like if you ask me what's going on, it's the same shit that was going on 20 years ago, bro. Working, stacking up my money, making sure I'm good, making sure my friend's good, and playing music. That's that's all I all I mess with. So my story is always the same. Yesterday I went once to Stitcher because that's the app that I use for podcasts. And it's so much easier for me because I'm an Android user. And I realized I was the last guest for Post America before you started the Voices of the Quarantine. Yeah. That's and I thought true, that was man. surreal. I was like, oh, shit, I was the last like live guest in your house. Yeah, because you know how we do. We would we would make food. And early in the podcast, we did it at like a, a restaurant, at a bar. And we yeah. just like, that we had to deal with them. They just serve us food and we, we'd feed the dudes and, and eat and talk. And then it turned into my house, but we still make dinner, hang out face to face. So this whole over the phone stuff is, is very new to us. But uh, yeah, you were the last guy to do it the traditional way that we did for, for you know, a hundred episodes before, before this shit. The Post America podcast is, I think, as you have flowed through, you've touched on so many different people. And I think because hardcore people are still getting um, acclimated to podcasts about hardcore, I think people have missed some of them. So if you're listening to this, please go back and check it out. I mean, there's a thousand great stories and I, I blow through podcasts and these ones are never as long as this one. So you should be able to be knocking these out. I mean, most of these are under an hour, maybe in the hour and a half range at the most. And uh, you are also the guitar player of one of my favorite bands, Wisdom and Chains from Pennsylvania. No, thank you, man. Glad you dig Wisdom and Chains. I, I cannot tell you, uh, there's something about being on tour and you get a CD. Because when you're in Europe, you have a fucking CD player. And, and you know, maybe yeah. now, I haven't been, I haven't been, tour, haven't toured Europe in the era of real smartphones and the era of Spotify. So I, so my European touring was whatever CDs we had, those were the fucking best CDs. And I had that first CD and, and, and I was just like, this is the coolest band. And it was actually Chris Spear who went down to the Barbary when it was still 21 plus and saw you guys. And he's like, dude, you really got to check out Richie's band, man. Like it's something different, but you're really going to like it. And oh, cool. with the exception of one, this is hardcore wisdom and chains has played every single year of the fest. And the only reason why they didn't play was they were supposed to be in Europe. And when it canceled, I was going to, literally move everything to make it happen and you're like no nah, we'll sit this one out and it's yeah always pissed it always pisses me off that you haven't played every one yeah but i felt bad like because i'm like oh i want to play it we can't and you're like oh what could you and next thing i know the whole fucking thing gets canceled anyway so i'm not gonna you know but you always look out i always try to tell a story about how what exactly did you do the first time we played it like that you made people stay inside to watch us like so this is this is serendipitous of the time when this is hardcore started in 2006 a week and a half before the festival there was a 
smaller fest at the first Unitarian church called Pointless Fest. And there was these outside, uh, they're like train hoppers, transient, that now now they're called something different. Like, um, I always forget the word, but it's something super funny. But it's like, I, I don't want to say the word wrong because people will clown me, but basically, you know, dreadlock, dirty, you know, you know the type. So we got asked to be outside security only, basically asking them, hey, can you keep moving? Because they're in Rittenhouse Park. And that's a really affluent area of Philadelphia in downtown. So we were asked to specifically just make sure that they weren't causing problems because they were fucking with the liquor store. And even the local cops are kind of like, look, we just don't want to deal with the fucking problem. And if we have to deal with the problem, we're shutting the whole thing down. So as a favor to Tony Pointless and the R5 guys, we became security. And at a certain point in the night, somebody who had been asked to leave, not only by us, but by like the real security had come back with like 20 people to fight just us. And it turned into like a stand down showdown and cops came from all areas. The guy legitimately put himself in a position where I'm surprised he wasn't shot. And the crowd attacked this one cop and then it was this mayhem. So, a week later, this is hardcore is happening. Rancid is playing down the street with H2O two and separate nights. And uh, the cops had just basically told the venue, hey, listen, we don't want any more problems with these punks, so everyone can't be hanging on the street. So what a good time. I said, well, he's like uh, the venue owner said, what time do you want to say cut off? And either inside or you got to go home. And I said, all right, we're going to make sure it's for Wisdom and Chains because I wanted everybody to see uh-huh. it. So the first year of this hardcore, we had the cutoff, which you guys were playing high up on that day. It wasn't like it was early. And we didn't no, need to beef great. with the cop. And, yeah. and so we literally was like, hey, here's the deal. The cops are giving us problems. You have to go inside if you want to see the rest of the show. It's no more ins and outs. We have a problem with the police in the area, and they just don't want the trouble. So this is how it's going to be. <laughs> So oh, that was, that was big, yo. That was, no, really that big. was like the kickoff. And I love that hearing the Atlanta Kings performed at this article or, or yo, even at tsunami and, and, and yo, at Keystone jam this year, it was like, wow. And I mean, we've done some Keystone jams together. It's just an incredible live experience. Yeah. It's always fun. It's always fun. And what I love is when we do that song in another country and it goes off. Wow. Uh, I couldn't even imagine that. that. And they don't know where Pennsylvania is, but they're fucking psyched. Yeah. They're not saying it right, you know, but it's all right. Uh, it's good. We've got to put it on the map. I remember when Joe wrote that, he he wanted, like, he was hoping other some other bands would, like, play it, PA bands, and just play it. And he, and he was, like, fantasizing in his head. Yo, maybe bands would do their own version, like, with their own lyrics, like, different. Like, Payback. Own, Get on it. Do it. Like, yeah. It's like, it's for anybody who wants to do it, do it. It's yours. Wow. Jesus peace. Get on it. Let's time to see some people do these their songs. Version would be sick. That's another band, PA band. We don't mention Jesus peace. Yo, that's come on. You got all styles, you know, from this style to that style, everything between and shit is dope. You can't fuck with PA son. Where can the people find any of the uh, different things that you're involved with on the internet? Uh, well, the, the, uh, the podcast called post America podcast. So just look that up on Instagram or Facebook, or I don't think there's a Twitter for that one. The band wisdom and change Twitter, which we really don't use too much. It's kind of confusing Instagram, Facebook. Then I got the, the record label fast break records, 
that's on, you know, all those same platforms and there's always stuff coming out with, uh, you know, with fast break and, uh, that's about all I got going on right now as far as the, the music, you know? All right. We want to uh, put out any of your personal socials or are just going to find you if they find you. I got, uh, my name, Richie Mancuso on Facebook, but that, that's all I got. Yeah, you you basically are the wisdom and chains. Yeah, guy. I try try to run the other stuff because my dudes are very lackadaisical. Well, as I said, this isn't the last time you'll be on this podcast, so I just appreciate you taking some time. And this was birthed out of the people who were really excited about the idea of Crutch and thinking that because the tape came out, they may play again. And I was hoping to just have Rich kind of talk about that time and just also give us kind of like a little origin story for himself. And I think next time we're going to go deeper in the different realms within the, uh, the PA hardcore world. So thank you, Richie. You're no, the man. Thank you, man. I love talking to you. I'll Can't talk to wait. you soon though, brother. All right, bro. All right. Peace. If you're still listening, I appreciate you. In fact, I appreciate all of you for listening. Quite a few people have hit us up on the social media channels and just giving some insight and feedback. And I really appreciate it. Zach Nelson, Buddy Cram, Todd Kramer all put up great comments on the Apple iTunes thing. That's always cool. Podcasts get a lot of notice when people do that kind of stuff. So if you want to do that for us, cool. Uh, next week makes episode number eight, and there is no one better than Jamie Morgan of Code. Not unlike this podcast, we will be talking to Jamie about the formation and the early days of Code. And with that band, there's so much to the story that it's a worthwhile listen. And since they have so much going on and so many things to come, it just felt weird if we try to cover their entire history because so much of what they'll be talking about is happening as we speak and it'll be outdated before we get on the show. Um, that's all I really got aside from if you think I should have the guest's name after episode number. And then if I come up with a title, like this one is the Godfather of PA Hardcore, or if it's okay to do Godfather of PA Hardcore with Richie Crutch. Had someone say, hey, do it this way. Had someone, my personal life, I ask them, say, I don't think it matters. And uh, I'll let you guys duke it out over what the right thing to do is because uh, it doesn't really change what I have to do. Thank you, and uh, can't wait to get back to you next week with Jamie Morgan and Code. Bye-bye.